Hey folks, thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of Vinyl and Vision. Tonight's guest is Fred Galpern from the band Plug, um, who has just released their first studio recording uh, on 75 or less records. Uh, We will be putting up links to everywhere that that will be available. You can find it for streaming, for download, or an actual physical CD copy. it was a great talk with Fred. Uh, go over, you know, the process of his recording as well as his uh, musical influences. One of those being U2, who, which we are featuring tonight. U2's War, uh, their third full-length debut record. I had a first U.S. Uh, pressing, which we uh, listened to and examined. It looks great, sounds great, and if you're interested in that, you can also follow the, find the links for that on the homepage. Uh, right now, you are currently listening to a selection from. Fred's new record, Block Out the Sun. Links are also available on the uh, head homepage to uh, find copies for that streaming, download, or if you even want to buy a physical copy of it, you can do that as well. Enjoy the show. Thank you very much. Don't forget to subscribe, follow, comment, like, share, all those things that people do with the social medias and the intranet. Thank you. Cheers, Fred. Yeah, Thanks you for uh, for coming by. Thanks for having me. So, I need you to kind of give me a, a, a probably a good description about uh, your band and your history because uh, I don't know you very well. I did a little bit of history, a little bit of research on you. Um, so I know that you're in the band Plug. That's right. Um, it seems like you guys you started. You're the songwriter, primary songwriter I and am. singer. Yep. It seems like you probably started around '95. Well, it depends how you look at it. So I'll, I'll give you the short version, and then if you want more, I'll give you more. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Plug, Plug was this idea that I had in 95 of a band. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a huge fan of the whole grunge revolution, Nirvana, Pearl Jam. and I mean, to this day, I'm a crazy Pearl Jam fanatic. Yeah. Been in their fan club since day one. And, oh, cool. Um, you get all the I, crazy seven inches that they send out? Every single one. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> we, we could talk Pearl Jam more <laughs> later. <laughs> okay. Um, but anyway, you know, big fan of music ever since I was uh, listening to U2, which I know we're going to talk about later. Um, taught myself to play guitar in high school and sing and all that. And after college, around 95, I, I wanted to start a band. Mm-hmm. Um, I was living in New Jersey where I grew up. I had moved back home, living in my parents' basement. And I started to write all these songs that I thought were pretty cool, you know, and, and could suit a band, but I didn't have a band. So mm-hmm. I started playing a lot of open mics, solo acoustic. Oh, yeah. And then I recorded an album in my mom's basement on a four-track, yeah. old school, pre-digital. Uh-huh. Um, and I played everything on it. Some songs had drums. Um, a lot of it was just multi-track acoustic, so like kind of an ambient mm-hmm. sound to everything. Um, but struggled to get a band together. Yeah. Until finally, later that same year, I found uh, a bass player and a drummer who were willing to play together. And we recorded, we re-recorded some of those songs. And we made a four-song EP. Mm-hmm. These were just cassettes. These were like you know very much DIY type right. stuff. Yeah. And uh, you know, and then they were a lot younger than me. These guys, they were like three or four years younger. Hmm. And they went on to I don't know, they moved away or whatever. But it fizzled. It didn't happen. And then I also, 
I actually moved up here. I got married and moved up to Providence. Yeah. Um, so, and then, you know, work and kids and life and all that happened. And music was really a secondary thing. Yeah. Um, but over the years, I made a couple of attempts to like, to get back to it. And I always wanted, I always liked that name plug for a band. It just, it felt right to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, I became friendly with a guy named Stuart Powers, who's a pretty well named, well known drummer in the Providence area. Yeah. He was in a band called V Majestic that was pretty popular. Yep. Yeah, uh, I think I know Stu. Yeah, Stu owns uh, Stereo Discount Center. Yeah, yeah, which I know is in East Providence now. Stu's great. Yeah, he got me my needle. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I think he supplies probably ninety percent of the record needles. In the I'm area. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a friend introduced me to Stu, you know, and said, "I know this great drummer. You want to make your band plug happen? Talk to him." Hmm. And it was awesome. We played together a bunch. Um, and, you know, similar to the first try, still we struggled to find other musicians. So we had a friend who was a guitar player try to play bass, and that didn't work out. Mm. So this is probably uh, 2011, that that time frame. Okay. And it fizzled again. Yeah. And, and it kind of went away for a while. And then I changed jobs, and, you know, time went on. And then about two years ago, I really got the fever again. Um, I have some other friends playing in local bands. I'd be going to a lot more uh, local shows and I realized like, I can do this. I've got the songs, you know, I love doing it. And mm. I had always played like little open mics and things and, you know, a showcase here and there solo. Yeah. Right. And so I, I got in touch with Stu again. I said, let's try again. And he was willing. And, uh, we found a great bass player, um, on Craigslist, a guy by the name of Brian Sears, hmm. uh, who was awesome. Uh, we played with him for a little over a year um, and we parted ways because I think Brian is more of like a blues, a heavy metal, even a bit of jam band style mm -hmm. bass playing. He's great. He's just, what we're trying to do in Plug is more like sort of grunge mixed with pop, yeah. power pop, right. little Matthew Sweet type stuff. It's more straightforward type yeah, of music. Yeah. yeah, and I don't think Brian was the right bass player for that music. So we parted amicably and we started looking for someone else. Mm -hmm. And so at this point, you know, I'm really thinking... If, if we're going to do this, I want really good players. I'm like, you know, I'm the inexperienced guy. I don't want more inexperienced people in the band. I want people that can really raise this thing up. Hmm. You know, that idea of surrounding yourself with people who are better than you. And so that's what I, I aim to do. I already had Stu. He's definitely a notch above me, at least, if not more. Yeah. A phenomenal drummer and a phenomenal uh, bandmate. He's really good at arranging songs. He has great ideas about whether it's doubling a part or, you know, even things like let's go up an octave here or something just stuff that i wouldn't think of yeah so we started asking around and does anybody know a bass player that could bring some something new to this band and and help us get to where we're trying to get to and a couple of different people recommended a guy by the name of mark stone mark was in a providence band called medicine ball which oh. were they were fairly successful yeah, yeah in the I 90s the name. Uh, they toured and they opened tons of shows at babyhead mm -hmm. they opened for I don't want to name bands because I don't want to get it wrong. Right. But Mark has told me many, many different shows that they've played on that were right. just like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it definitely sounds familiar. Yeah. Especially and, early 90s-ish, mid-90s era. Yep, yeah, exactly. Right. And I think Mark had a similar situation where he played with that band for a very long time. And for whatever reason, it, it ended. Um, and then he's played with various people. I think he's done a lot of studio work, mm -hmm. uh, local studio work. And I think the timing was just right. When we asked him if he wanted to play with us, he said, yeah, I've been thinking about getting back into a regular band. Hmm. And we played with him, and it was fantastic from the first 
the first practice. Yeah. So we played a few shows as a three piece and it was really great. Um, but at the same time we had been recording, uh, six songs for our first EP, which by the way, I brought a copy. Oh, cool. That's for you. Sweet. Thank you. I brought you some, uh, some additional swag. Block out the sun. There you go. Yeah. I've been listening to this. Oh, cool. Awesome, man. Thank you. You're welcome. Enjoy. Um, so yeah, we were recording that EP block out the sun and, um, we had a friend, we, we hadn't yet fully established this relationship with Mark on bass. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was very busy. He's got a lot going on in his life, and he didn't have time to come to the studio. Right. So we, again, through friends, uh, heard about this guy, John Simpson, who's another local bass player. Mm-hmm. And I shared the songs with him. He loved them. He was super excited to come record bass on those songs. So he's on the record, uh, but he was he's not an official band member. Oh, okay. um, but he did a great job on the record. We're really happy with what he's done. And uh, and so anyway, long story short, Mark is our full-time bass player. He'll be on our next record. Um, so we played a few shows with Mark. They went great. But be- f- through recording the EP and having folks like Jeff Robbins from 123Astronaut, mm-hmm. uh, my buddy Ryan Lesser from Megasys, uh, Paul Pip Everett from Hope Anchor, and yeah. a million other local bands, uh-huh. Uh, he did some background vocals. But through having all this, I realized we really need a second guitar player to fill out that sound hmm. so that it, it can be more like what we did on the record. And uh, again, we asked around. You know, It took a little while to think of who would be the right player. And uh, a friend recommended Karen Orsi. Mm-hmm. Karen is a, a local, pretty well-known local guitar player. She's done a lot of work with Girls Rock. Uh, she does guitar lessons. She also... Years ago, did support for a band called Scarce, which were pretty well known. Oh, yeah. Um, I think she played in the band. I'm not sure if she's on their records. Hmm. Um, she played in the live band. Um, and then she's got some other projects that she plays in, too. But really, it was just a few weeks ago that we invited Karen to a rehearsal. And like from the very first rehearsal, it was just a perfect fit. Yeah. She really enjoyed it. We loved how she was playing on these songs. And then we had a second rehearsal. And then we played a show. She played a show with us after just two rehearsals, and it was amazing. Cool. So she's now our fourth member. Great. Well, it makes it easy when you find these uh, very talented players, you know? It's just like they can jump in and, you know, they know the, they know the drill. Yeah. I, can... I feel so lucky to get to play with these people. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It's it's hard to get a band together. It is. It's I very... mean, so to find the right people and good players and that are willing to play your material, very difficult. So congratulations. Oh, I, thank you. I, I, I feel your struggle. <laughs> Thanks a lot. And it's not just, I got to say, it's not just the people in the band. They're, you know, of course, they're like the foundation. Yeah. Um, but there are all these other people. I mentioned some of the guests we had on the record. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's one notable guest. I want to tell that story, if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. But that's a little longer. Before I go there, though, you know, we recorded with Craig Jordan at his Planet of a Boy studio uh-huh. in Providence. Um, he has this amazing garage, kind of like what you have here, mm-hmm. a little bit bigger but he's converted into a proper music recording studio. Hmm. He's got a great board. He's got a live room, a separate control room. And he's just a phenomenal, uh, he doesn't, I don't think he likes to be called a producer, but that's really what he's doing. Yeah. Um, he shares ideas on things for the songs. He doesn't just hit record, make sure the levels are good. Of course he does all that, right. but he gets you great sound quality and he contributes to ideas too. So there's creative input. Hmm. So Craig was a huge part of, of getting this record right. Um, I've got some friends that have been in the music scene that, that just know music, know my taste, understand kind of my perspective on things. Yeah. Um, Guy Benoit is one of those friends who oh. gave great feedback on these songs and helped us perfect them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then Tom Buckland did the mastering. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom is, uh, I, I don't want to say the, the wrong band name, but he's associated with one of the bigger punk acts that still plays around. Yeah, I know the name, but I, I can't remember why. I, I think it's Neutral Nation. Okay. But I could be wrong. And forgive me, Tom, if I got that wrong. Tom yeah. and I don't know each other well, but through him mastering this project, you know, we've talked a bunch. And, right. uh, and he's just a great guy. He he did such a good job mastering this stuff. He took Craig's work, which already sounded amazing, and he just put that sheen on it so that I was like, wow, that's my music? I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does sound very good. I mean, I've been listening to it on Bandcamp oh, thank uh, you. just for the past couple of days, uh, just because I wanted to know a little bit more about it and get a feel for it. And it does sound very good. I mean, and that's through, you know, earbuds, like in disturbance, you know, like in a noisy area, but I could, I could feel the gist of it. So, I mean, I can give it a better listen now. Now that I have the CD. Thank you. Sure. But uh, yeah, definitely sounds like a good record. Definitely sounds like you guys put in a lot of effort into it. It sounds like great playing. sounds like great production. So I'm very, very interested in kind of seeing what you guys doing in a live setting because I, you know, I plan to come out and see you on Saturday. Oh yeah, thanks. Yeah, that's going to be a good show. We're playing with um, a band called The Really Heavy, which are they're just so much fun. Uh, a young uh, friend of of friends, uh, bit by bit by bit bot, who's actually this guy Arlo, mm-hmm. who's a good friend of my son. They go to school together, um, and Arlo does this really cool thing where he's got he makes his own music and he takes his pre recorded tracks and he plays them and then he sings and raps and and works over them live. Yeah. And it's just, it's a great, great thing to see him live. So you get to see that. Cool. And of course, Arlo's dad is Jeff Robbins, who leads one, two, three astronaut. So they're, they're playing the show as well. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Cause they put out their new song. So I'm assuming they're going to play some new songs off the new record, which I is not so. out yet. So let's, yeah. sounds like a great bill. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm it should be a forward show. To and it. SQ is a great venue. We've yeah. played there a few times. It's, the old Century Lounge, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's all sub-level. Yeah, it's downstairs, which is cool. Yeah. They have good food. They have a <clears throat> great bar. And the sound is awesome there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I don't go out to many shows much these days, but the few shows I've been to lately have all been there. Oh, okay. I'm like, oh, this is great. I get to yeah. go back to SKU. <laughs> John, John, who's booking SKU, he does a great job. Yeah, no, it's you know, great. He, he mixes it up, but he's always got good bills there. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I mean, it's just a good room. It's good yeah. sound. Yeah, so it it makes sense. So it just happens to be that I've been there the past like three times that shows have been happening. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it's not so bad. Yeah. At least they're good shows, you know? Yeah, I love that place. Um, So I I mentioned there's one story about the EP, if you don't mind. Can I tell that one? And then we can move on. Yeah. Um, So as I mentioned earlier, I'm a huge fan of like the grunge stuff and all that whole Seattle scene. Mm -hmm. And, um, one of the coolest things about that scene for me is how many side projects there were. So you had all these, these main bands, you had Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, Mudhoney, but pretty much all of those bands had side projects. Mm-hmm. And of all of them, Pearl Jam had probably the most and the most interesting side projects. One of them is their guitar player, Stone Gossard, had a band called Brad. I don't know if you ever listened to them. No, I haven't. Definitely check them out, especially their first record, Shame. So Brad is, it's this weird thing. It's, it's also known by another name, the band, uh, Satchel. Satchel is the same band, but with a different guitar player. I think like when Stone Gossard is on tour with Pearl Jam, his main thing, yeah. those guys wanted to keep playing. So they called it Satchel then and brought in a different guy for guitar. That's weird. And they kept going. It's weird, 
but when you hear the music, it makes sense. Do they play the same songs? No, no, no. They play different songs. Oh, totally set. Different Satchel set. has their own albums. Brad has their own albums. Right. Um, okay. But because it's the same singer, it's this guy, Sean Smith, mm-hmm. was the lead singer of both bands. Mm-hmm. Sean also was in a sort of like a dance rock um, duo called Pigeonhead, and they had some songs on like the Soprano soundtrack, um, some other music soundtracks, and they got pretty successful too. Yeah. And then Sean did his own music. Um, anyway, uh, Sean never really hit it big like the rest of the Seattle folks, but for people like me that are really into that scene, everyone knows Sean and absolutely loves his voice. He has had, I should say, he, he passed away recently. Um, he had this beautiful, uh, kind of light, kind of funky take on things. He just had an amazing, unique voice. Mm -hmm. He was a huge Prince fan. Um, yeah. He could do everything from the funky prints to the ballad prints, uh-huh. like really good. Um, his main instrument is piano. So often on Brad or Satchel songs, it'll be a piano-based song, but then it goes full rock. Mm-hmm. Just really great stuff. Anyway, uh, my wife also loves Sean Smith, loved Sean Smith. And we went to see him at a solo show in New York City in 2014. And because he doesn't have a huge following, he just was hanging out at the bar before. And mm. we got to talk to him, which for us was like, you know, that's on the level of talking to like Robert Plant or someone. Right. It was a very big deal. Yeah. And he couldn't have been more humble and kind and almost embarrassed that we were like, and we weren't crazy. We were cool about it, but still yeah. he was like, you know, he was kind of taken aback. But why are these people right. so crazy? Sometimes you can't help it. Like, you know, like to geek out. Yeah. Yeah. Like and, I was telling you my story. Respectfully. Right. And, and that was it. We let him, you know, he talked to other people. He played a cool show and that was it. And when we got back, I looked him up on Facebook and I sent him a friend request and he accepted. So we had a little bit of back and forth. He was very friendly. I thanked him for the show, that kind of stuff. And then a a few months later, my wife's birthday was coming up and I was like, I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to ask Sean if I can hire him to record a cover song for my wife, like one of her favorite songs, but him do it his version. Hmm. And and sadly, uh, there was some public stuff about him struggling financially. So my motivation was to help him and also give my wife a cool present. Right. And he said yes right away. And I offered him, I won't say the amounts, it was embarrassingly low. I offered him a fair amount and he said no, he would take less, which is crazy for him who was struggling. Um, So I sent him PayPal money and a week later he sent me the song. It was Ordinary World by Duran Duran. And it was amazing. You know, she cried, you know, it was great birthday gift, points for me. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so a little time goes by, and as I mentioned before, I start my band up again, and I'm still, every once in a while, you know, Sean and I have a small exchange. When Prince died, I sent him like, oh, I'm, I'm sure you're hurting, me too. I'm a huge Prince fan. Oh, yeah. And so we, we talked a little bit about that. Um, hmm. I sent him, um, when they opened up Paisley Park, I took my mom there on a trip, like a surprise trip. Mm-hmm. So we got to tour Paisley Park. I sent Sean the pictures of that. He liked that. And so when I was doing the plug thing, I thought, wow, it would be amazing if Sean sang something on my record. So I asked him and he said yes. So on track five, even everything, you'll see it's even on the yeah. disc. Sean right. Smith is singing background vocals on that song. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and very sadly, he died in April. Um, he yeah. delivered the tracks to us in January and then he passed away in April. Jeez, I mean, there was a sudden complication or? or It was, was... I don't think they've officially said at first when he died, the first rumor was that it was complications due to diabetes. But then a close friend of his said publicly that it wasn't. Um, He died in his sleep, it was a heart thing. 
an oh. undiagnosed heart issue. So this was just very unexpected. It was unexpected and well, sudden, it seems. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear. I mean, yeah, me too. I mean, tragic. I I I say all this as if he was uh, a friend, but you know, that's the loosest term I can use. He was an acquaintance yeah. at best. He was just so kind. Well, you're a fan. I mean, not, I mean, absolutely. You were a fan that got to have some kind of relationship with him, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, you know, and especially yeah. on a, on a professional basis where. You commissioned him to record a song for you, for your wife, which is amazing, which he did. Yeah. And then actually to have him perform on your record is pretty, pretty special. So. Yeah, I feel so fortunate just that he talked to me. Yeah. The fact that all this other stuff happened and that we made music together. Right. That is, I, I still don't really understand it. It really is. You know, I, I was talking to my wife about this. If we had to name our top five singers, probably change every day. But for me, it's Eddie Vedder. Chris Cornell and Sean Smith is always in that top three. Mm-hmm. You know, Bono is up there. Yeah. Um, probably Tom York is up there. Yeah. And then, you know, there's tons of others that I absolutely love, but those guys to me are just, they do things that no one else does. Yeah. And, and the fact that Sean was in that category and he was willing to, to do something for me again, it's just mind blowing. I bet. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's great, man. Well, you know, sorry to hear for about your loss and everyone's loss. And Yeah, yeah, me too. Luckily, he left behind tons and tons of music. If, if folks don't know Sean Smith, go on his band camp. Yeah. And I think, again, he was so generous. Everything is up there for free. He just asked for a donation. Just just listen to it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and donate like something. It, you know, donate something yeah. because it's obviously going to go to his estate, which I'm assuming is with his family. He left behind, I think, a 14-year-old son. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. That'd if be you great. Throw a few bucks that way. That'd be phenomenal. Right. Especially if it's just pay what you can. That, right. You know, no, no better contribution. You get a record. You get, a, you know, a bunch of songs. To Sean. To Sean. Cheers. Well, thank you for sharing the story. I mean, I, I had every intention to ask you about it because I, I knew it was kind of like a big deal, especially for you. Um, I, I don't know Sean very well. Um, I looked into it a little bit. Um, I saw that he had a massive discog- discography, and I was just like, okay, yeah, this is going to take me a while. And yeah. I haven't had a lot of time to, to, per- to prepare for tonight anyway, so I was just like, okay, this is going to take some time. <laughs> the place to start is that record I mentioned, Brad Shame. Yeah. It's the first Brad record. And it's, it's everything that Sean did really well, but with the support of these amazing musicians, one of them being Stone Gossard from yeah. Pearl Jam. Was he the primary songwriter? Uh, I think they all wrote together, okay. which is another unique thing about that band. It's very, uh, I don't want to say it's jam band, it's more improv, very mm. groovy, like slow groove improv yeah. that turns into these beautiful songs. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll, I'll check it out for sure. Cool. Yeah, I'd love to know what you think. All right. Um... So let's get back to Plug. Sure. Let's get back to Plug and Plug. All right. So uh, <laughs> Plug's got some shows coming up. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know when this is going to go up. Probably go up like Saturday or Sunday. Okay. I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, but you're doing a show this Saturday, the 25th. Right. We talked about that a little bit. One, yep. two, three, astronaut, bit by bit bot. And the really heavy. And the really heavy. Yeah. Okay. Who's the real heavy? The really heavy are another local band. Okay. Um, they're a little more... Uh, bluesy kind of seventies hard rock. They're great. They're fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was telling another friend about uh, what what I think they sound like, and uh, forgive me, they're really heavy if I get this wrong. But they're not that heavy. Yeah, it, it, it was a little off putting to me to hear like, they're really heavy. 
and then listen to them, you're like, no, they're just a great rock band. Maybe it's psychologically heavy. Yeah. Yeah, they've yeah. got really deep meaning behind some of their songs. I'm if, not sure. If heavy means good, then, yeah. then it's appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then, uh, and then you guys, and it's going to be your CD release party. It's our CD release party, yep. So... The CD will already be out, and it seems that it's on 75 or less records. It is, yeah. Oh, so cool. we're, we're working with 75 or less. I know Mark over there. Yeah. Um, you know, and it it's great. The support he does for the scene here is phenomenal. Yeah. He puts together shows. He puts out so much music every year. Right. And he um, puts, out, puts out limited pressings. He puts out limited pressings. He does these really cool compilations. Have you heard any of his uh, cover song compilations? No, I haven't. He's done a few of those. We're on, we're on one of them. Um, you know, I just—he's a guy that loves music and he just wants to be involved and give back to the community. Right. That's great. Yeah, yeah. it's good stuff. And it's got a—it seems like it's got a good, uh, like a mantra to it because it's just limited pressings of you know uh, independent artists. Yep. And uh, so basically, whenever these things sell out, they're gone, and that's pretty much it. Yep. And I think sometimes you know you can find them elsewhere. Like they'll they'll have a second life if they're popular. Yeah. But I think generally, Mark knows he knows what people are looking for around here, and local bands are going to sell, you know, somewhere between ten and a hundred records, and that's fine. That's good. Yeah. None of us are looking to take over the world. I don't think. Right. Um, so having a nice little local following and having a label like seventy five or less uh, help us facilitate that is great right that's great i should mention too uh keith would kill me if i didn't uh my friend uh keith ab is his band Mm -hmm. Um, he also he's got two records out on 75 or less so far and shameless here uh i'm playing bass with him now oh okay yeah cool so what's the plans for that you guys doing any shows uh yeah we've got a show coming up on the 31st at i think that one's at dusk but it might be askew it's on facebook there's a facebook event just look up keith ab okay a slash b cool that yeah. dusk that would be nice i like that place yeah that place is cool dusk i, I played venue. the uh nirvana benefit night volume two there last week oh you week. did that yeah oh cool i got to play uh, chrissy who organized it she invited me to play three songs so i did solo i did a uh, radio friendly unit shifter off of in utero Ooh, which solo? is like yeah, which is a punky song. Yeah, and that's I did tough. what I think is a cool acoustic version of that. <laughs> okay, I, I like simplified it, and that was fun. Um, I did "Serve the Servants," mm-hmm. and then I did "In Bloom," which turned into a great sing along. That oh. was really fun. Nice. Huh. What What would have I assumed? Uh, I probably would have assumed like a Penny Royal Shifter or something, Penny Royal Tea or something like that. So, do you know John Farone? He's uh, a local. F- he yeah. looks like a folk yeah. guy. Um, great, great voice, great performer. Um, but he's he's got a like a very mellow kind of almost spooky performance style. Mm-hmm. He opened the show with Penny Royalty, and he killed it. Oh yeah, yeah. And I had to go up like two or three acts after him. It was like whoa. <laughs> <laughs> the other highlight uh, of that show was Harvey Garbage played. Harvey uh, Garbage. Yeah, they're they're another they're like a garagey band. I think uh, the lead guy is Cody James. Okay, um, I think he's been in a few different projects, and uh, they were so good. They yeah. did a three-piece. A guy by the name of Mikey Apples plays drums. And I'm sorry, but I don't know the bass player's name. Oh, Har- Harvey Garbage? Is that... That's their name? I think so. Okay, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I think that they've been... Yeah, like the Tall Teenagers have been telling me a lot about that. Oh, yeah, like yeah. Tall Teenagers. Well, yeah. Damien from Tall Teenagers played, but with a different group. Songbirds? Uh, I don't think it was Songbirds. I think it was like a, a bunch of guys put together Oh, okay. Just Specifically for, for the night. Yeah. Okay. So, But anyway, Harvey Garbage's set was bonkers good mm-hmm. so good hmm. if you close your eyes you'd be like is that nirvana 
<laughs> in a good well, way, like in a live, yeah, like yeah. raw. Yeah. Sounds cool. It was a fun show. I bet. Yeah. I wanted to go to that, but, uh, you know, I have a lot of obligations. I, yeah. I can't make it out to every show. I just yeah, can't. Same here. I Back right in the day, totally different story. <laughs> Probably would have been there. But yeah, the kids and everything, they kill me. Yeah. I hear you. So, okay. You got the record out. Yep. Um, it's available sure. through your website. Uh, yep. If you just look up uh, on Facebook, just look up Plug. Okay. You'll see the yellow. It's a yellow circle. Unfortunately, mm. there's some other bands named Plug, so we have to. The address is Plug PVD. Okay. Same on Bandcamp. PlugPVD.bandcamp.com. Right. Um, and then if you go to Facebook, it's probably the best way to find us. Okay. There's links to everything else there. Right. And so they can uh, grab a download or can they order a copy yep. of the actual CD? They can CD? order the CD. We've even done some bundles where you can buy a CD, a t-shirt, and we'll throw in stickers and buttons for like a discounted price. We're only charging five bucks for the CD. Mm-hmm. Again, we're not trying to like make money and profit from all this. We just want the music out there. Right. So we're trying to price everything like just a little bit over our cost so we don't lose money. Right. Sounds good. And then, so your show on Saturday might not make it in time for this broadcast. Uh, Providence PVD Fest is coming yeah, up after that. Yeah, we're playing PVD Fest on June 8th. June we'll 8th, be okay. on the something something eating stage. I don't know what that is, but again, look it up. You'll find <laughs> plug 930 on, on Saturday night. Yeah. It's been a while since I've been to a, a PVD Fest, but they're a big, big, big outdoor venue, concert, yeah, they, show, parade. They take over the entire downtown. Right. Um, close off the streets. You got to walk in. Yeah. Um, and there are multiple stages with comedians and bands and rappers and magic shows and big Nazo running around. Of course. And uh, extraordinary rendition band banging on drums everywhere. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, absolutely. Tons of food, tons of drink. Right. And it'll be like all day. Big all day, all night outdoor party. Right. Sounds great. Yeah. It's going to be fun. It's just June 8th. It's not multiple days. Just I think, one day. I think it's uh, the Friday and the Saturday. But again, okay. look on Facebook. Yeah. Look up the event. Don't trust me. No, no. I'm okay. an old we'll, guy. We'll, with we'll link it. We'll, we'll find the right the right uh, spots and get people the right, right, right information. Awesome. So now what's your... Uh, so the album we're going to feature tonight was uh, War's... Uh, U2's album War, which is their third full-length record from 1983. Now, so what's your experience with U2? Oh, man, stop me if I'm talking too much. Um, It's all right. (laughs) So I think like a lot of of music fans, we all have these these love affairs with certain bands, right? Have you had that experience? Yeah, I I think it it goes uh, kind of like with your, your age range as well. You know, so like when you first start listening to music as a, as like a kid or a yeah. young adolescent, yeah. you get obsessed with certain bands or a certain band, and then maybe as you get a little older, you'll start to mature a little more. Maybe get get a little crazier, listen yep. to something a little different. You know, obsessive right, over that, for, looking for something that that is different from what you've already loved. Maybe edgier. Yeah, maybe some of your parents will hate. Right, right. <laughs> uh, so for me, uh, I know you asked about you too, and I promise I'll get there quickly. Um, when I was in middle school, my first, I was a comic book kid from the time I was like six years old. Mm-hmm. I didn't care about anything but comic books. I was crazy into them. Um, and when I was in middle school, I heard a friend had ACDC back in black and he had a copy, a cassette copy from someone else. Mm-hmm. And there's like bad words on there. And you know, it, it was like edgy stuff. Yeah. Like, what is that? Right. So he made me a copy of his copy. And I listened to that on my headphones. I had one of those Panasonic 
uh, cassette players that had a big silver speaker, right? You know, and the hard buttons, yeah, that, yeah, push down buttons. And I, I had liked it a lot. And so that year for Christmas, I asked for uh, a record by The Who because I saw that The Who also had some stuff with bad words. And I thought, <laughs> I know what I'm doing. I'm going to get into music, right? Yeah. So uh, my parents' friends who we spent Christmas with bought me Tommy. And Tommy, it's got some weird stuff on it, but as mm. far as bad words and edginess goes, it's not all that much in Tommy that's... There's subtext there that's weird, yeah. creepy uncles and things like that. Right. But as far as like, it's fairly safe, I would say. And and some great pop music. Yeah. And I flipped out. I absolutely love Tommy. To this day, I, I'll put that record on and I really enjoy it. Yeah. But there's some edgy sounds on there. There's some early synth stuff on there. Um, Townsend's guitar playing was very different at that point from mm-hmm. what everyone else was doing. He had started to, to branch out. And... um so I, I think I was babysitting by that point and making my own money, mm-hmm. went to a cassette store. Uh, I think it was called Cassette World in the East Brunswick Mall in New Jersey where I grew up. Uh-huh. And I bought the Who Meaty, Beady, Big and Bouncy, oh. which is later I find out is like an odd, like a B-Sides collection. Yeah, it's come. Yeah, which I didn't know. And I hated it. <laughs> uh, these guys were one hit wonders. I'm done with the Who. Yeah. So I started looking for something different. And I think MTV had just kind of started up and, and we had cable I saw MTV and I saw this, this really kind of cool looking guy in like, uh, he had a black t-shirt, but like a beige, uh, suit jacket. And, uh, he, he was kind of goofy looking, but he was real serious and he was real badass. And then he played this slide guitar solo to the song bad to the bone. And it was George (laughs) Thurgood and the destroyers. Now at the same time, uh, I think because of my comic book background, I also became a big Stephen King fan. Hmm. So the movie Christine was being advertised and Bad to the Bone was in the trailer. I was like, that's my new music. It's going to be George Thorogood. Yeah. So I bought a George Thorogood album, the Bad to the Bone record, and I loved it. Huh. And same thing, I bought another one. I was like, oh, this isn't so good, and I didn't like it. So I think I kind of cooled on music for a little while until uh, sophomore year of high school. Um, I have to give props to my big sister. She's two, year, two years older than me, mm-hmm. my sister Joey. She always listened to Casey Kasem's Top 40. And I'd make fun of her. What are you listening to that radio crap for? You should pick your own music. And you know, right. even though at this point I was like a little bit out of music, I still had strong opinions. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I would always listen. Her bedroom was next to mine. I always, on those Sunday mornings, I'd hear Casey Kasem's Top 40. And every once in a while, something would, would catch my ear. And I hear this chiming guitar riff one day. And I go in her room. I'm like, what is that? She's like, that's some Irish band. They suck. You wouldn't like them. Like, no, no, make that louder. I, w- I want to hear that. And I just sat there. And, and it was Pride in the Name of Love. Uh. And I had never heard anything like it. It just, you know, when you feel something so intensely, it just, mm. it affected me that way. Right. And I got the unforgettable fire and I was completely blown away. And then I worked my way backwards and I got Boy and October and War. And, uh, and it was really, I think, the Joshua Tree that made me like a rabid fan mm-hmm. and, and to this day i absolutely love you two they're they're my second favorite band pearl jam's my all-time favorite uh-huh. um but where i grew up it was you were either into hair metal or pop music nobody i knew was into punk mm. there was no there was no experience or exposure to that kind of stuff i have a feeling it had i've been exposed to i don't know flipper or black flag when that stuff was was getting big in the early 80s, I probably would have enjoyed it and gotten into it. 
but I just had no exposure to it. It wasn't on the radio. Right. Um, so the stuff that I had access to, this is what sucked me in. Hmm. And because of you too, I started playing guitar. I started singing along when I would, when I learned to drive and I got my own car, you know, I'd sing at the top of my lungs driving around and nobody can sing like Bono, but I sure tried. <laughs> um, and yeah, and, and war was one of those records that I knew the hits. I knew Sunday, bloody Sunday and right. two hearts beat is one and all that. Um, but it wasn't until probably a little after the Joshua tree period when, it, you know, kind of sunk down a bit, it quieted down hmm. that I went back to war and October and really, really kind of love those records. I always love boy. There's something about boy that it's just got a raw quality to it. Oh yeah. A naivete that other records of theirs don't have. Right. Um, but war is this cool in between record that, you know, it, it, it definitely is the first thing that shows there, you know, we don't have to just be this, uh, this edgy futuristic rock band. We can also, we can dabble in improv like mm. seconds is totally an improv song. Um, or right. we can dabble in, in dance music. Two hearts beat is one is a, is a dance song that I think their producer pulled back and made more rock. But when you listen to the dance remixes, they almost work better than the album version. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I could talk endlessly probably about every U2 record, but <laughs> War is, is a special record because it set the stage for the experimentation that they would do on every record after that. Right. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right, because uh, from the research that I did, it, was, um, it definitely was the tipping point between, uh, almost quite literally, because they had three full-length records, War being the third, and then they had Rattle and Hum was the next release, which was... No, Unforgettable Fire was next. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, oh, wait. Sorry, so, then phone's it, making so then it definitely right. was the tipping point because Unforgettable Fire was exactly where they had started. They started with a new producer, right. uh, Daniel Lanoy and Brian Eno. Eno. Right, from Roxy Music. Right. And, uh, and I think, uh, what's his name? Steve Lillywhite. Yeah, Steve Lillywhite had some... So Steve Lillywhite, this happened with Nirvana too. The record label gets nervous that the new producers are pushing the band in such a different direction mm -hmm. that when they put a new single out, their fans aren't going to get it. Yeah. So they bring the the known producer back to keep that sound. And so Steve Lillywhite, I think, did uh, he did a mix of Pride in the Name of Love off of Unforgettable Fire so that when the first single came out, it had that U2 sound. Right. That had been established on the previous yeah. three records. Which I don't think necessarily was that great. I mean, from from listening to War and then from what I remember of Boy in October, because I only have vague, foggy memories of those from when I was a kid, really. Because mm -hmm. the only time I was really listening to U2 was when I was a kid. And I specifically remember listening to Boy, and I don't remember the record very well. I remember having a tape of it. Yeah. And uh, I was doing the research on this, and I found, uh, I looked at the copy of Boy, and looked at the artwork of it, and for the record, it was completely different. Yeah, so there were two covers. Uh, yeah, on the back of the back side of the the record was the photographs of them, which right. are, looks kind of blurred. Yeah, and that was compiled onto the cover of the cassette. Right. So that that's actually why became the the regular cover. Yeah. Years later. Right. Yeah, and then of course, like different pressings in different countries as well, they're going to have different variations on the cover like that as well. Right. But um, I think that's why I got confused. When I was talking to you, I told you I had boy. Oh, okay. Because I saw the boy in the cover. I was like, oh, it's going right. to be boy. And it's the same kid. I don't know if you knew that. It does. Yeah, I thought so. It's a son of their friend. I think this, uh, they, all, they gave themselves all fake names, but a son of, or not the son. I think it is the friend, uh, Googie. I think that was his nickname in their, yeah. in their like group of friends. 
Yeah, yeah, I remember reading a little bit something of that. Um, yeah, so on, it's the same kid on both album covers. Yeah, he's and now he's what, like forty years old, fifty right. years old. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's a he's a handsome looking kid, and uh, we'll get into that image a little later because I know it ties into the whole record. Yep. But uh, yeah, so. So this was the last record produced entirely by Steve Lil- Steve Lillywhite, right. and I think that there's a significant difference in the style because so you're saying the Unfl- Unforgettable Fire came in after this, right? And I can't I can't remember that one. I remember that one was a tape that I used to listen to when I was a kid a lot as well. That and the Joshua Tree both right. were in my house at some point, and I remember listening to it a lot. Yeah, and um, definitely significant production difference because when I put this on. I was like, oh yeah, they could, this sounds like a tin can. Yeah, yeah. Like it's really like tinny and kind of lo-fi. Yep. And then I was just like, yeah, boys kind of like this too. I remember. Yeah, it's get in the studio. Right. Get, well, because they the were kind of like a punk band done. too. Right, right. So they were like really edgy. I mean, it was it was rough around the edges, and that's kind of I'm sure the way they wanted it to be. Sure. You know, I think even so. though they have a certain pop sensibility, they 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 were a rock band. Right. You know, and so then uh, I think. The Unforgettable Fire and Joshua Tree were what led up to what they ultimately became, and it was like a massive pop success. Because then they, I think they really kind of sunk their teeth into like the ability to make the well. First of all, they they changed their sound a little bit by incorporating like more electronic sounding mm-hmm. instruments instrumentation. Um, and then of course the producers had some effect on that too. I'm sure, especially Brian Eno, because he's such a crazy ambient synth guy. Oh right. Um, but uh, yeah, so I kind of I kind of lost touch after after Joshua Tree. I think is when I kind of lost touch, and they had like a three year break too. So yeah, like after so Joshua after, Tree it was like three years, and then it was Octung Baby that came well, out. So that that's where Rattle and Hum comes in. So Joshua oh, Tree it came in, in the middle. In a, yeah, Joshua but that was Tree, a live record, right? Well, it's it's half live record and half all new songs. Oh, and okay. what's interesting, I I made my own edit of Rattle and Hum that's only the new songs because I was over the live stuff yeah. at that point. I had heard so many bootlegs of the Joshua Tree tour, and I loved it all, but it wasn't new to me. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, the version of I still haven't found what I'm looking for that's on Rattle and Hum was recorded at Madison Square Garden. There's a gospel choir on it. And my brother and I were in the audience. We were like fifth row side of the stage for that show. Wow. So it was cool to hear it. But anyway, um, there's tons of good new songs on Rattle and Hum, mm-hmm. but they're all of this like, what if we were an Americana band? Like that vibe. There's one song on there called Hawk Moon, Hawk Moon 269 that they co-wrote with Bob Dylan, oh. which is a very cool song. Huh. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if I remember that. It's been a while yeah. since I listened it, to it. It's a good record. You know, give it another chance. It, that movie and the record got a bad rap, I think. Yeah. They were uh, Bono's megalomania, you know, <laughs> I'm going to save the world stuff really started to rub people wrong by that point. Yeah, yeah. And I was a kid, so I didn't, it just yeah. didn't really make sense to me anyway. They were just like a, they were just a rock and roll band. They were yeah. just like a massive popular band. And so I wasn't, I'm not a big lyrics guy anyway, so... His messages weren't weren't reaching me at all because yeah. I just didn't really care. You were just there for the beat and the melody. Yeah, I was just there for yeah. for what, whatever the music was doing, and then it would. I felt that it was good, and then but like by the time Rattle and Hum was out, I was like, yeah, I don't know. I was growing in a different direction. You sure. know, I had already had my my moment with them. Sure. So, uh, yeah, and then and then Octung Baby came out, and I was just like, oh, this band is totally different. Yeah, like I don't give a shit about this band. Anymore. Yeah, and see that when that happened. Um, 
a lot of people had the exact reaction you just described. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. For me and my brother, who's also a crazy big U2 fan, we were like, whoa, this is awesome. It's like it was it's almost like a David Bowie thing. Yeah. Where the new record, it it's a new performer. Yeah. It's it they're not doing any of the same things that they used to do. Right. You know, and the whole thing with Octung Baby when Bono put on those dark sunglasses and the leather jacket, he was basically giving the finger to like all the press and all the fandom that was saying, Oh, you're a megalomaniac and you know, fuck you trying to save the world. He was like, Okay, you don't want me to do that? I'll just be a rock star. I'll show you what that looks like. And it was a character. He called that character the fly. I loved it. I ate up every bit of it. I know mm. a lot of people found it pretentious and shitty. Yeah. I loved it. My huh. brother and I saw them six or seven times on that tour. Uh, we were, they did a series, like three shows in Hershey, Pennsylvania at Hershey Park, an outdoor stadium uh -huh. for the Zoo TV tour um, as rehearsal shows. And they announced tickets like very quietly you had to like either be in the fan club or something to know about it and we were at the first one of those shows hmm. uh, i'm telling stories again Cut that's me okay off. no that's all right go for it um so we had tickets you know way in the back we didn't care as long as we we're gonna be at the show and i think this is 1992 so i'm 23 my brother's 21 so we, we and we lived in new jersey so driving out to pennsylvania was no big deal a couple hours we get there super early and, and we're like now experienced U2 concert goers. And we know the trick is the day of the show to, this is back before Ticketmaster fights and everything, to fight scalpers, they would always release a couple of hundred tickets like two hours before every show. So if you had shitty seats, just hang around the box office, wait for it to open and ask if there are any seats available. And often there would be, and often they'd be pretty good. So we waited and nothing was happening. And I was like, there were some girls we were scoping out. So I went back there and my brother's like, I don't care. I'm waiting. I need to hold Bono's hand, whatever. Yeah. He's like, you know, he was crazy about it. <laughs> and sure enough, I see him a few minutes later. I see him walking back across this lot towards me, holding something up in his hand with the hugest smile on his face. And it dawns on me like he got better seats. So I run up and, and I'm like, what'd you get? He's like, we're front row center in front of the edge which as a guitar player, I mean, the first probably five years I played guitar, all I did was try to play like the edge. Yeah. I, my brother's younger than me, but a little bit taller than me. I jumped up on him, <laughs> like was hugging him like a little baby. <laughs> we were freaking out. And so, yeah, we saw this like preview show for that amazing tour, front row on Edge's side. It was, it was amazing. Wow. Yeah. So preview show, but would you, uh, by that you mean before the official tour started, right. so it was kind of like their warm-up show? Yeah, it was. they did these three warm-up shows there because, uh -huh. um, the, remember, that tour was the first time that any band had so many giant screens on stage. Right. They were the first ones to do that. Yeah. And so there were a lot of technical <clears throat> things to work out. They also had like these little Trabant European cars. They're almost like minis. Oh, right. Hanging, right. and like they had fake lights in them. Right. So they just had all this technology going on, and uh, I guess they felt like they had to do a rehearsal show. Right, right. And there were problems, you know, sound cut out. A lot of the video screens didn't work now and then. But we didn't care. I mean, you were all, right there. Yeah. yeah, I was just watching the edges' hands. Yeah. The whole night. That's great. You know, Bono came by at one point, and and I'm I think Bono's amazing. But I was like, can you get out of the way so I could watch that guy? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Wow. Well, that's great, man. I'm, I'm happy to hear that you uh, had such a good experience with them. Um, I can't say that I'm an equally huge fan, um, but I do like this record and I do like their earlier stuff. And I'm uh, kind of happy to to try to share this 
moment in sure. their history. Sure. Um, I do. I, I don't give them. I don't discredit them. I'll just say I'll tell you that much. I mean, That's like good. you know, I I know I know all their hits, and I know that you know it's like a little guilty pleasure of mine to like you know listen to one or two of their popular songs and like you know cry in a corner a little bit because they're <laughs> sure. good. They're good at that. You know. Yeah. So um. So I, I mean, you know, you give credit where credit's due. You know, great songwriters are great songwriters. It doesn't matter what the style of music is. I agree. You know, I, it, it bothers me that I have so many friends that are crazy passionate about music, and a lot of them make music. Yeah. And a few of them have been very successful making music. Um, and it, it really bothers me when people are snobby about music. I, I like what I like, and you like what you like, and that's totally fine. But, but to have this take that because someone or a band or, or a performer has been successful or is on a major label, that automatically rules them out as having value, I think is so short-sighted. Mm. You know, I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, mm-hmm. and I'll debate the quality of his, of his catalog or any, any song in his catalog with anyone, anytime. And so many people are like, I just hate him. Like, really? Wh- which songs do you hate? And all they can name is Born in the USA. I just hate that he has a nice ass. <laughs> and he shows it off. Hey, if I had an ass like that, I'd show it <laughs> off too. Yeah. Hey, it sells records. Um, speaking of which, let me... Uh, you already took a look at this one, but you know what? You can uh, have the honors of uh, taking it out, Ooh, considering you are actually a vinyl fan. I am. I'm a big vinyl fan. Yeah. Um, should I tell a little bit about yeah, what I Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, growing up, I, I'm old enough, I'm 50 years old, so I'm old enough to have experienced vinyl the first time around. Yep. Um, inherited some of my parents' records. You grew collection. up with it. I did. I grew up with it. Um, I spent a summer when I was 15 working just so I could buy a stereo with a record player. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first record was uh, a Tom Petty record, the uh, Southern Accents record. Okay. You know, not one of his best, but I loved it. Yeah. Um, oh, this is a great copy. It's so clean. Yeah, so from what I've realized, that is a 1983 original U.S. pressing. Yeah. And it, Anton Corbin is their photographer. Yeah. He's done almost everything they've done. Um, yeah, everything from this point, actually, fourth, I believe, right? From, yeah. I think it was from War. I think so. You can tell because his photographs, he uses this, this grainy quality in all of his work. Yeah, and it's and mostly all black and white. I'm not going to take it out of the sleeve. I'll let you do that. No, no, no. You go for it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, the sleeve's great, too. It actually, no splits. Like, Yeah. It's uh, it's in pretty pretty good condition. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. It even has the old island label. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. That's proof that it's from 83. It's an that old one. totally 80s. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. You know, what I didn't realize, uh, I mean, I, I've known about Island Records a lot, and, like, I've known about, you know, certain artists that have been on Island Records. Um, I didn't realize it was, it started as a reggae label. Yeah. Yeah. I, I realized started... that they had a lot of reggae artists on them, but then I was just, I just did the research tonight. I was just like, holy shit, I didn't realize that that's what they were focusing on. Are they the label that was started by the brother of... Uh... The guy in the police, or is that IRS? Uh, I don't know. Maybe IRS, but Maybe uh, IRS. no, these uh, one of the Copeland brothers. I can't remember the names now because I just looked it up quickly. But uh, yeah, two guys from Jamaica uh, started it. Okay, then yeah, then I'm wrong. Yeah, IRS and then they moved to the UK trying to um, uh, move the reggae influence into the UK, 
um, and then ended up actually starting to get into more harder rock, edgier music, signing bands like U2, and yep. um, I know they have... I know they have Grace Jones. I know they have uh, Robert Palmer. Uh, yeah. All that weird older stuff. I know the traffic is on islands. Yeah, a bunch of weird older music, you know? So that was kind of strange. But yeah, they did, did get back into a little bit of reggae, but then they actually started a subdivision of uh, Trojan Trojan Records, oh, which I is where all that. the reggae went to, basically. Oh, okay. All right. So I see you're cleaning your record. That's always good. Yeah, well, I just give it a brush just because, yeah. uh, you know, I really hate that as much as you clean the record, like everyone talks about how, oh, you got to clean your records, make sure that they to keep them sounding good. Right. You always put them back in this fucking sleeve. And this right. is where all the dirt is. You can just fucking, you can, sometimes I blow them on them. So the next level. And then I get showered in dust. The next level is they sell these sleeves that are dust resistant. Oh, like the like, poly ones? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so you keep this, but you put that in the other one. Right. Have you seen the wood glue method of cleaning records? I have. I tried I have it. tried it. I tried it. It works okay, but it's just what you said. You just get dust back in it again. Yeah, I mean, if it's, if it's a really dirty record that you found, you know, and you want to try to salvage it, Try that first, like especially if you play it and it sounds really crackly right. and it sounds gross. Okay, really get the get the hard stuff out. Yeah, yeah, and then so go for that and see if that makes it sound better. But uh, I wouldn't just do that on every record every time. No, it would take yeah. forever. Yeah, and it's and it's weird because. Uh, Can I plug a local record shop? Yeah, of course. Only because we're talking about cleaning records. Um, Olympic Records in Providence. Oh yeah, the guy that owns it, Kevin. Yep, he oh, cleans. What's that? I'm looking at it, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at it, right. Yeah. Um, he cleans every record. Like, I, I feel bad. I actually haven't been there in a little while, but when I was going crazy buying records a couple of years ago, I bought a ton there. And it's because he just takes such good care of everything that comes in. Do you know what his process is for cleaning? I don't. I don't know if he has a machine or okay. if... I know, I'm pretty sure he uses a wet process. Okay. He uses liquid somehow. Um, yeah. Just because they're so clean. Uh, but I don't know exactly what he does. Yeah. So yeah, talk about... Just going to get a little level on that. Okay. What do you think of the sound? Do you, can yeah, you hear it well yeah, enough? It's good. I'm going to go to two ears now. Okay. It's a little hard to hear myself with two ears. Yeah, yeah. Just, just talk close. Yeah. Just to really, really get close to that mic and then I'll, I'll be able to hear you. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah. What a great lead-off track lead-off track you said the first track on the record like oh yeah i mean this is a classic song i mean everyone knows this song yeah uh i'm not terribly crazy about the lyrics so the whole political aspect is lost on me okay um but even still from what i've learned about the research of this like i know what what bloody sunday is um i'm not a very political person so i'm not even going to try to speak about it and speak wrongly yeah um but I understand that it's a, obviously a tragic moment and it affected them being Irishmen. Uh, is that perfectly correct to say Irishmen? <laughs> I think that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you can't say Chinaman, though. Right. Uh, you can say Irishman. <laughs> right. Very strange. Uh, but uh, Maybe but also at the same Irish time. Irish people. Right. Irish, but Irish person. Yeah, there you go. The, the group of Irish people here. Uh, it's not 
if you really look at the lyrics to this song, I guess, it doesn't really sound like it's too much about that event. Well, I think it, it's typical of that disconnect that I was talking about before. It happened with Springsteen. It happened with you, too. Yeah. They weren't, they weren't saying anything terribly controversial. They were saying, we can be one tonight. Like, if you listen to the lyrics, he's not picking a side. Mm-hmm. He's saying, let's just stop killing each other. Right, right. So that can plays that be controversial? into the, the war theme and the artwork that I was telling you about, which you know we would talk about, was that... So you have this boy on the cover. Same boy from the first record. That also kind of probably ties in a little bit, too, because boy being their first record is showing you their innocence and their naive, right. naivete as young men in a band for the first time on a major label trying to just be a band, right. which is difficult. Um, and then now here, here you have their third record. Okay, now they're definitely seasoned. Um, they're on the verge of like becoming a huge rock band. Yeah. Um, they've had a lot of success, but not necessarily massive success. They've never had like any kind of like massive chart topping. Right. They're playing like two, three thousand seaters at that yeah. point. Yeah. And like charting, but like not number one places. They're like you know in the top ten maybe here and there, right. and not in the U.S. at all. In the U.K. Yeah, mostly U.K. and Ireland. They're part of college rock in the U.S., yeah. which is what alternative used to be called. Right, right. The good stuff. So Bono was said to have said about war being not necessarily a political statement about, uh, you know, war deliberately or like, you know, um, the, the, he felt like the whole world was at war which kind of literally it was, I guess, at the time. He said he quoted, uh, you know, uh, South Africa being at war, and uh, where else did he say? Uh, well, this here. is, remember, this is the build-up. It's still Cold War time, right. so it's the build-up to the Berlin Wall coming down years later. Yeah. The, but still in the 80s. Right. So there was That's a massive years. amount of wars going on, which I feel like he's right. You know what? Yeah. The world is always at war. Like, even right now, I mean, you can say that we're at kind of a, mo- a time of peace being yeah, in America. It's a scary time. But, no, I mean, but yeah, but there are still wars happening everywhere. I mean, right. it's, war is ongoing. It's it's indefinite. Every, there is a war going on somewhere at every time in the world. It's just that we don't necessarily hear about it or know about it. Right. So, he kind of wanted to bring attention to that. And also, at the same time, that war affects everybody and everybody has some kind of psychological war going on within themselves. So that's where the boy kind of takes takes uh, part in, in the, the cover art into the, the, the you the know. The theme of the record? Yeah, yeah. and the, the, what the, what's the fucking word I'm looking for? God, I'm brain farting tonight. Uh, the content of the, the music. Right. Is that it's not necessarily all political music, but it, it, there's a lot going on for everybody, and everybody has their own war that they're going through. Sure. Whether it be a legitimate real war and effects of war, or it's their own psychological war that they're having. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's kind of yeah, it's very, very touching, very in depth. But musically, like listening to the songs, I'm like, okay, I'm not hearing it too much. It, I think it comes through in some of the lyrics, like this song, uh, Seconds. This is what I had mentioned earlier, is yeah. mostly an improv-type song. And I think he's, as far as lyrics go, Bono's painting a picture of the people in the situation. Maybe the boy on the cover. Mm-hmm. You know, what's it like to be in this 
war in their home. Yeah. You know, talking about it takes a second to say goodbye, say goodbye, oh, uh, where are you going to now? You know, is he talking about a friend of this kid's dying or somebody moving away because they can't take what's going on oh, in the yeah. city? Like, I like those uh, those kind of abstract lyrics where you get to decide yeah. what the story is. Um, oh, yeah. And sometimes they're really direct, but often with this era, you two, it is that abstraction. Yeah. Well, actually, and so this song, uh, I remember hearing that uh, The Edge wrote this song. Seconds? Yeah. Oh, okay. And he wrote this song by himself, uh, contemplating leaving the band. Oh, wow. Yeah. I so, didn't know that. actually, kind of those, those words opening up, uh, it only takes a second to say goodbye. Yeah. That was actually him alone in an apartment questioning, do I, should I do this? Yeah. So that would that would have been a big one, huh? Oh my god! <laughs> so much great music wouldn't have happened. Yeah, right. Yeah, we, we just passed a really interesting part of the song, which is part of that. Oh, thank you. Sure, tell me. Tell part me. of that uh, improv, or um, not improv, but experimentation that we talked about. They went on to big time with the next record, Unforgettable Fire. There's that break where it's, uh, I think it's from a movie, but it's that like army sergeant singing I want to be an Air Force Ranger okay and you know they had never done anything like that before yeah huh I'm just gonna get this out of my shot here's the next uh, big single from the record New Year's Day so have you ever seen them perform this live no I've never seen the player perform live so you could see it on YouTube um, and I would highly recommend for this era, there's uh, a live record that came out right after War. That's a yeah. pattern they did, often did. Album and then live record, album, live record. It's called Under a Blood Red Sky. Oh, okay. And yeah. so there's a great video of that. Uh, it was at Red Rocks. Right. So I remember the video, like on MTV, like yeah. seeing some of the video. The whole concert is there. And when, when they play this song live, Edge plays piano, but he's got his Stratocaster hung on him, and he's jumping between the two pretty seamlessly. It's very cool to watch. Yeah, I don't remember that too much. Like, I remember, what song was it? I think it was Sunday Bloody Sunday that they actually, like, clipped, like, they had shrunken down to just, like, that song for MTV. Oh, yeah, yeah. I made a video out of it. Yeah, yeah. So that was probably my only experience with it. It's a great concert. Yeah. Again, that's where a lot of people started to hate Bono because he's walking around with a big white flag. Right. You know, talking about peace, but... Yeah, well, he's he's very opinionated, you know. I mean, yeah. so either you either love that or hate that. Right. I mean, I I don't hate it. I'm just not a political person. So when people start being a little bit pushy with their their uh, position, you know, I kind of like tend to back off. Yeah. Say, just just say what you want to say, man. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that's that's just my my take on it because I'm an un- I'm an uneducated person. And I and I'm okay with that. I'm not a stupid person. I just don't. I have a hard time with the the wrongs in the world. Yeah. You know, like my wife fucking watches, like or reads the news every night, like when we're going to bed, and I can't stand it. Oh, I can imagine. Because I'm just like, why are you giving me this shit? First of all, I'm trying to go to sleep. Right. The last thing I want is Poison all this negative dreams. bullshit going on in the world. 
before I'm about to head into my like little dream state. You know, like this, this, this like negates any possibility of wet dream. This is just <laughs> nothing but like nightmares. You know, yeah, absolute nightmares, like all night. So it's like, yeah, I, 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 I've always stayed away from the news, and like now in my older age, I do like listen to NPR every now and then. I stay kind of current on like, you know, major headlines because I know that a bomb can be dropped at any moment. But, right. um. But I just have no opinion on it because, like, I'm not going to affect these changes, you know. And like, people can say whatever they want about that, but I, I feel very strongly that we're gonna get fucked every which way, no matter what, because we have no say. Because even if, even if we were gonna get, like try to like take a a, a role in in politics and become a politician, right? right. Well, now we're just gonna become the enemy. Right. There's always going to be someone that disagrees with you. Well, because as politicians, you still have to work with other people that sure. are politicians that well, are trying to appease their contingencies, right? If That's true. If your goal as a politician is to affect change. I think the scary thing that's happening now, and now we're, we are getting political, <laughs> we can back away from it, is a lot of politicians aren't doing that right now. A lot of politicians right now are simply pushing an agenda that they've predetermined they want. So yeah. they're trying to get an outcome for a different reason than the good of the people. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, so it's just, okay, so it's a, it's a, a few select that uh, elected people that are duking it out for everyone else. Right, right. And I think in a large society, that's kind of inevitable because not everyone can devote their full their full time to uh, to societal needs. You know, call it politics or societal needs, whatever you want. Well, because everyone has different agendas, too. Yeah. So that's the thing is it's like so you might think that, you know, our local congressperson uh, is looking out for our best interests, but it's just like, well, what's your best interest compared to my best interest? Right, it's always going to be different. Else. I mean, you're a different person. What you want and what right. I want are never going to be perfectly aligned. So there are, you know, thousands or even a million people within every state, um, and this congressperson has to try to appease everybody. It's not going to happen. Yeah. It can't happen. I got, I got to go back to the music just for a second because yeah, yeah, there's riff. Please do. So this song, uh, if anyone plays guitar, learn to play this song. It's so much fun. That chunky riff, that. Yeah. I mean, well, a lot of edge that stuff is like an that. Effects pedal, right? It's like a. He uses a delay. That's his signature. Yeah. But it, it's, it, it, if you're looking to perfect the sound, of course you need a delay pedal. But it's not even that. It's just when you play edge riffs, you're forced to do this rhythmic thing that just feels so good. Um, it's not, it's not like a lot of other bands. It's a very unique thing. Yeah, well, he's definitely been been a person to be known as like a innovative guitar player, and and mostly in, in effects uh, in the effects realm, like right. how his usage of of effects for his songwriting and his playing. I think he gets shortchanged on his uh, talents as a rhythm guitar player. He's just a great rhythm guitar player. Um, you wouldn't consider him a lead. Well, he's a, he is a lead, of course, but he's not a lead in the way that like uh, a Jimi Hendrix or an Eddie Van Halen is. He doesn't play that way. Yeah. He, he plays rhythmically, and when he does a lead, it's always melodic. Um, you know, he's the only guitar player in the band, so he's 
he's kind of forced into a role of carrying the rhythm. Yeah. But everything he does with effects is certainly part of his magic. I'm not saying it's not. Right. Uh, I just feel like he doesn't get enough appreciation for his raw rhythm play. Mm. His very unique style. You know what's funny is I haven't even cleaned this record at all. It doesn't need it. No, I mean, it's a little dusty, but it's not, not like uh, soiled in any way, really. Let's see. It's a little dusty. Yeah. You know when you go through the, the crates, like you're, you go digging? <laughs> yeah, your hands feel so gross. Those record shows? You ever go to the like the Seekonk record convention? No, I haven't. I've been a couple of times. I'm and, afraid. Well, I'm, I'm to the point now where I don't want to go anymore because right. it, it's just so grimy in there. There's guys that don't clean anything at that show. Yeah, well, see, I mean, I would I would assume, I would expect that at a record store, at a record uh, swap like that or, or uh, show, most of the guys have them in the in the sleeves. Yeah, yeah. Which is good because you're grabbing the sleeve and that's right. not as dirty. Okay, it doesn't uh, pass the dust as easily. But uh, but when you're like really digging, like at you know the, the Salvation Armies at the thrift stores and stuff like that, or even at yard sales and stuff, people pull out crates from like from their basements and you don't know attics and stuff. You're like, oh, you just feel all the grime and you just put some gloves on. You're like breathing it in. You know, you're like. Oh, that smells musty. <laughs> horrible. My penicillin allergies kicking in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm developing allergies, I think, and this isn't helping. So yeah, 1983. That's shit, man. That's uh, 36 years. How old were you in '83? Three. Oh my God, I was 14. So I was in that, like, you know, I was probably listening to The Who and ACDC still at that point. Maybe George Thurgood. Yeah, probably George Thurgood. That's when that kicked in. Uh, I was three. I was, I don't know, I was listening to Nursery Rhymes. Mm -hmm. But it's funny, because, uh, so, so you were getting into U2 around what time, what year? So I really got into them, uh, Unforgettable Fire era, 84. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not too far off from this. Right, so just a year later. But, yeah. But at the time, this seemed like a very old record. Yeah. The, again, the difference in not only the sound, because Eno and Lenoir, who produced Unforgettable Fire, they brought all this ambience and uh, even more improv. Uh, there's a song called Elvis Presley in America on that album that is truly a pure improv. They were like, they took another song, The Unforgettable Fire, that song, slowed it down, and then they sent Bono into the vocal booth and said, just riff, just make stuff up. And hmm. they did that for a while, and they took a chunk of it, and like, okay, that's a song. Yeah. So they were doing this wild experimentation. Um, and so the just the, the stark difference between the sound and the appearance of that record, and this record, which is much more like, I would say more 80s, traditional 80s sounding. Yeah. Just felt much older. You know, it didn't feel like it was only a year apart. Yeah, I mean, like, the first three records have the same sound. I mean, and, like, that right. might be thanks to the producer, Steve Lillywhite. It might be thanks to the fact that they recorded the same studio for all three records. Right. But it's, uh, it's definitely, like, a lo-fi... It's definitely like grungy, and and they obviously had punk influences. Oh yeah. So I think they were trying to probably hold on to a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, 
Do you know the story of uh, how they formed in their early years and all that stuff? So it's Larry Mullen's band. Right. So they all went to high school together. Yeah. Larry put a sign up at the school on the bulletin board saying, forming band, uh-huh. come to my kitchen. Right. And, you know, he had a little drum set in the kitchen. And I think Bono showed up wanting to be a guitar player. Uh-huh. He wasn't very good, uh, but they let him because he showed up. Edge's brother, Dick. was Dick Evans, was the guitar player because Edge is Dave Evans. And Edge was second guitar. And Adam Clayton showed up, and Adam had an afro, sunglasses, and a bass. And he looked the most like a rock star. So he was the leader at that point. Mm. And he was the worst. They, they, were, they all have always said he was not a good player. Um, but they, the guys that stuck with it are these four guys. And they went to this progressive high school that let them spend, I think, most of their days in high school from, like, sophomore year on rehearsing music. Mm. So they just had this amazing platform to start, yeah. You know, and and slowly the other people dropped away, and it was just these four guys, right? And in all the forty years that they've been a band since the mid seventies, since high school, it's always been them. There's only uh, one U two show that one of them didn't play, and it was Zoo TV. Adam Clayton, I think it was in Australia. Adam Clayton had a, a pretty bad, I think it was an alcohol issue, oh. and he missed a show. Because of alcohol? Because he was fucked up. He couldn't make it. That's and a shit um, excuse. <laughs> yeah. And his tech, his tech played the show. And you could find it on YouTube. He's wearing a baseball hat really low. And, you know, just played the whole show like this. Wow. But frankly, I, I think he's a perfectly appropriate bass player. I love what he does. But you can't say he's a great bass player. Adam Clayton? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't stand out. Right. Right. He's appropriate for the band. When you have a guitar player like The Edge, who's so unique, and a drummer like Larry Mullen, who's so unique, mm-hmm. I think the role of the bass player is to not stand out, is to be that, like, core. It depends. I mean, if you can and do it well, it, it, it's, you know, you, you can do it, and you would be a great bass player. Like, uh, you know, Noel Redding from Jimi Hendrix Experience is an amazing bass player. I mean, I know he was originally a guitar player. But but that worked for that band. I think what I'm saying is, can you imagine like a standout bass player, like a, a flea yeah. in U2? Oh, yeah. Well, without being uh, kind of like overly flamboyant on the instrument, and I'm yeah. not necessarily saying performance-wise, um, it's possible. Sure. Like, I'm a bass player, so... Oh, okay. So I highly, I take high offense to what you're saying. No, I'm. Uh, Let's go. No, I just because um, the band that I came from uh, most recently was was more of like an Americana band. Yeah. Now I had not no experience being an Americana band. My my upbringing from 15 on was being the flea type, you know, slapping, plucking, yep. playing funk music, uh, like a hard rock funk music. So. You know that's very flashy and that's just like it's kind of kind of fun to play but like you know weird and it's just like rhythmic you use your whole you get your whole body into yeah, it yeah so when i moved on to playing americana music because that's where my my musical tastes were moving towards i started playing with a pick yeah. and i started playing notes and i started kind of like you know focusing more on like you know what what is this instrument doing like and how What's is it relating the to the guitar because yeah. the, the the songwriter of the band was the singer 
and he was writing the songs and bringing them to us and saying, okay, okay, rhythm section, drummer and basser, uh, I have this song, let me play it for you. Yep. We hear him play it a couple times, and then we start trying to you know, incorporate ourselves into it. And I came up with some pretty good stuff. And I came up with some stuff that was not just root notes. Now it's hard because yeah. I've sat with other people where they play their songs, and you know it might not be Americana, it might be whatever kind of style of music. And I and I start to realize, oh, okay, I feel like I can only play a couple of notes here. Like I feel like I can pretty much only do the dun 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 dun. Yep. Instead of the do 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 do, you know. Like right. doing some scaly type of work, sure. which I'm not a big scales person, but I just feel like you can you can have some kind of inflections and some kind of like like rhythmic movements going on on the bass. Totally, that, there's room for bass to have melody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when when you said, um, you know, I'm touching a nerve there. I, you know, I oh, I was just joking. <laughs> no, no, I know, I know, but I, I I love talking about music, so let's get into it. Yeah, sure. Um, when I say Adam Clayton is not like a standout or he's not a great bass player, the the heart of that statement is really, but he's perfect for you too. He's what they need. Right. So I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm playing bass in this other band, Keith AB. Mm-hmm. Technically, it's Keith AB and the Upsell. I'm part of the Upsell. And you're not upselling. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> and and frankly, I am trying to play bass like Adam Clayton in that band because that. That's one, what I'm capable of. Yeah. And two, what I think really works well. And I love that sound. So With or Without You, mm-hmm. you know that U2 song? Oh, of course. That's Adam Clayton. It's it's the simplest riff. I think a beginner bass player could play it. But what experienced bass player would choose to play that sim- simply on what became a mega hit? Well, that's you know? what it called for, right? Exactly. Right. And I think so, even though it sounds like I'm like knocking him, I don't mean to. What I mean to say is that he's exactly what this band needs. Yeah. In almost all cases. It's kind of like a, like a Michael Anthony. Right. I mean, oh my God, don't get me started. I'm also a big Van Halen fan. <laughs> but I mean, think about his playing too, you know, compared to like, you he, know. Hit him, it's not even about the bass, right? Like, like he could play one note for an he entire does. band. Right. It's the singing. That was the magic he brought to that band, those background vocals. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, the guy had such a high range. And to as a counterpoint to David Lee Roth, I love the original David Lee Roth era is so much fun and yeah. so good. Yeah. You know, the, the reunion was just a kind of an embarrassment. <laughs> but the fact that they did the reunion with... I know why they they brought in um, Eddie Van Halen's kid. I actually think that's really cool. My son plays guitar, and I yearn to play with him. He's not right. ready for it yet. He's 16. He's very much in the go-away dad stage. Right. But I get it. I see why Van Halen did that. Yeah. But what a what a uh, kind of, what's, what's the right word? Um, so I could probably pay him a lot less, too. Pay him a lot less, but it's just such a knock to this, this classic 70s and 80s band hmm. that people really, really love. Yeah, and they just kick out one of the four members. I could see if it was a five or a six piece band. Yeah, one guy maybe you could you wouldn't miss him so much. But listen to those early Van Halen records and tell me Michael Anthony is not a key part. It's not just his bass playing; it's his vocals too. Mm. Those yeah. super high background vocals. Huh. Well, I never really paid attention to it much, but I did pay attention to the bass. I was just like, yeah, he's just playing like root notes. Yeah, dial up any Van Halen one song and listen to the background vocals, and you'll be like. 
oh my God, is that like uh, a woman from Motown singing mm-hmm. background vocals? I just always assumed it was Diamond Dave. No, it's Michael Anthony. Oh. He's, he was a phenomenal singer. Before they, so Dave always wanted to be in the band. They never, when they were teenagers, they didn't like Dave, but they finally let him in the band because he had a sound system. But before that, Michael Anthony was the lead singer. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, it w- I don't think it would have worked as well. I think Dave was phenomenal. Right. But Michael Anthony is a great singer, and he has a very, very high voice. Hmm. Um, I'll try to think of an example that you would know right away. Maybe Jamie's Crying. Do you know that that's song? The thing, that's the song I was thinking of. Yeah. That's so yeah. weird. So you know, the, oh, yeah. oh, oh, Jamie. There's a high part. That's Michael Anthony. Even oh. on the record. It's not just live. Yeah. But also, check out live videos on YouTube. You'll see him singing. Hmm. Yeah. All right. And, you know, he's this, like, pudgy guy from like, Chicago. <laughs> he's got a sausage. But he was he was great. A oh. great bass player and a great singer. But like you were saying, like I was saying, minimalist. Totally. Not necessarily because he's not capable, but that's just kind of like what the song calls for. So it's interesting. So with Plug, my band, um, our first place bass player, Brian Sears... He was great, but he was not minimalist at all. And this, the the um, the really cool stuff he would do was more bluesy, yeah. and it it just wasn't working. So, and then when we got Mark Stone, our current bass player, Mark is probably even busier than Brian was. But Mark plays very melodically, mm-hmm. and so Mark brings a um, like my instruction. <laughs> if I, yeah, it's a terrible term. It's the only thing I can think of when when I play plug songs with a bass player and they ask me what what do you hear in your head i always say adam clayton he again he is he's a he's a great bass player for that band yeah and so in my head that's what i hear for my songs Hmm. and mark mark is very much like i don't want to play root notes i want to play something interesting not only because i want to enhance the music but i want to enjoy myself right think that's mark's take forgive me mark if that's not um <laughs> yeah that sounds so, about right yeah. so it, it was a little bit of an adjustment period when mark came in the band where uh we have this song sad and uh in the the last chorus he does this melody on the bass that's like a counterpoint to what i'm singing mm-hmm. and it's so beautiful and so cool um you'll if you come saturday night you'll see it mm-hmm. uh you'll hear it but it took me a while to adjust. You know, my guitar playing is fine. I play what I play. But when I sing, I'm singing to the melody that I already hear and know. And the song's been around for twenty some, excuse me, twenty something years. Yeah. And then Mark comes in with this new melody that is opening the song up. Hmm. So it was an adjustment for me to like. I I'll, I'll still sing the way that I sing, but I'm almost like listening to his bass playing and enjoying it while I'm playing and singing the song, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a great experience. It's so fun. what you're saying is that your live songs are going to sound different than this recording because yeah. he's not the bass player on the recording. Right. So the bass player on the recording, John Simpson, also did something very, very cool. But like John is a right. good example. I John and I had lots of conversations about like what style do I want? And Adam Clayton was this reference that I kept throwing out. Mm-hmm. It's like I, I know it's basically root notes and it's very plotting, but it's the feel that I just always heard in my head. And so John took that and and he actually ran with it and did more than that. And I love what John did on the record. Um, but I also love what Mark is doing live. You know, right. they're they're two very different things. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe someday we'll do a live record and we'll have Mark's versions of the songs out there. Yeah. Cool. 
Well, so that that makes it more intriguing now to actually see the live performance because it's going to sound a little different than the recording. Oh yeah, and Karen also. So Karen Orsi, our lead guitar player, she's not on the record at all. Yeah, and she's playing. She's playing some of the lead parts, like Jeff Robbins from One Two Three Astronaut played a lead on uh, a song Drown. called Drown. Yeah, she's emulating his part but doing her own thing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my friend Ryan Lesser from Megasys, he played lead on a song called Dreaming, the first song on the EP. Yep. Um, and Karen, again, is emulating his lead, but taking it in her own direction. Yeah. So yeah, it'll, it'd be cool to, if you come Saturday night to hear yeah, what you think. Definitely. It'll be definitely a little different. Try to make it. Um, speaking of your band, just before we get onto the side B of this, uh, this sure. record. So listening to it, um, to have you here tonight, I asked you your first, your, your top five records, you know, just to kind of get an idea of like, hey, what can I find that, you know, will be suitable for you to come and sit down with? And um, so you had U2 Joshua Tree, which I couldn't get, sorry, but this is pretty good. It's okay, I could have brought one of my five copies. Yeah, but I didn't want to sell it. <laughs> um, you said uh, Guided by Voices. Oh, yeah. Which record was that? Uh, so, again, for Guided by Voices fans, they're all going to laugh at me, but I don't care. Uh-huh. I like what I like. Do the collapse. Okay. Rick Ocasek produced it. It was their like TVT records. It was their their like pop record, if you will. Yeah, it's definitely the record of theirs that I know best, at least yeah. by title. The I, hardcore a... uh, guided by voices fans hate that record, right? And yeah. I don't care. That's fine. I agree with you. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. Um, so uh, you two guided by voices. Uh, Pearl Johnny Jam- Polanski. Oh right. I didn't. I don't know anything about Johnny oh, Polanski. Oh so. So Johnny Polanski is another guy that, kind of like Sean Smith, I've I've become the tiniest bit of friends with on Facebook. Um, and actually, just by chance, ran into him in New York City in mm-hmm. a park a couple of years ago, and he was super cool. I'm a fanboy. Like, so Johnny's put out a few solo records. He also toured as a touring guitarist with lots of bands. The one that comes to mind is Pucifer, which is like a Tool side project. Oh, okay. Maynard from Tool has yep. a bunch of side projects. He's a phenomenal guitar player. Um, the story that I think Johnny's probably most known for, his first record is called Hi, My Name is Johnny, uh, produced produced by Frank Black from the Pixies. Oh, okay. And as I understand the story, he didn't really produce it. He kind of gave some feedback and lended his name for the promotional aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, Johnny, record, he took the, the record company, gave him a budget. This is like 96 or 95, 96. The record company gave him a bunch of money. He took all that money and like outfitted his mother's apartment in Chicago with soundproofing and recording gear and just made this fucking amazing power pop record. Hmm. Um, Buy it, listen to it, whatever. If you don't like it, I'll pay you back. It's such a great record. It's called Hi, My Name is Johnny. Mm -hmm. Um, If you only listen to one song, listen to Love, Lovely Love. He's such a good pop songwriter. Uh-huh. And uh, again, forgive me, Johnny. He looks like sort of a Johnny Thunders, sort of New York guy, like like uh, dark black hair, longish. Yeah. Um, I have a big nose, so I can say this. He also has a big nose. <laughs> he's, he's sort of very ethnic looking. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I can't say enough good things about that record. He's made other solo records, which I really like. But that first one has that something special. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so what were the other ones that were on there? Was the, Pearl Jam No Code on there? Pearl Jam No Code, right. Yeah. So That's no, hard to get. It's hard to get. And it's also, you know, it, a lot of, you know, if you're if you're not a crazy Pearl Jam fan, you're looking at the outside. 
People would say that's the one where they fell off, but it's also the one where they really went crazy with experimentation. Yeah. You know, they had 10, which was a mega hit. Then they had Versus, which... I, the, I hate 10. The recording of 10 is the worst. Listen to the... Re, it's called 10 Redux, where they remixed it with the original... Not the original producer, with their later producer, Brendan O'Brien. Okay. And it has a much more raw sound. All right. Yeah, the production's tough on yeah. 10, I agree. Uh, yeah. But great I mean, songs. Yeah, no, it, it, I mean, it was great. I listened to it, like, to death, but... I, I always hated it. I always yeah, the hate, Redux version is Especially because they had the music videos on MTV. Oh, yeah. And it was just basically them, them live. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is great. This sounds awesome. It looks good. Like, right. they're really exciting and energetic. And then you put the tape on or the fucking record. And it's like once removed from hair metal. And I, yeah. And it, yeah. it just it just sounded like crap. It's really it was just a really bad recording. Yeah. So Rick Parashar, who produced that, was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was trying to kind of ride the times. And he didn't know what grunge was. Nobody knew. Right. It, it, the first Alice in Chains record, listen to that. That has a similar vibe to it. Yeah. It's got one foot still in the hair metal era. And by the way, I love some of the hair metal stuff. Yeah. I have uh, Sirius in my car, Sirius XM, uh-huh. and that hair metal channel is great. When <laughs> Rat comes on or Cinderella comes on, I mean, I'm yeah. banging my head. I, I love that stuff. Right. No, that's uh, fine. But anyway, so No Code, the reason that would be on my list is uh, Pearl Jam had 10 and, you know, you go from nothing to mega stardom. And then they did Versus, which is a very angry record, yeah. very raw yeah. uh, and, and great. And and I think at the time, like the number one biggest selling record, week one record in history at, at the time. Yeah. And then they do Vitology, which again has like a lot of anger and a little bit of experimentation. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, they, they basically decided as a band... All right, we have to pull back, like, or we're gonna break up, or someone's gonna die. Like, we need to, we need to do. We want to keep making music and touring and everything, but we need to pull back. How do we do that? And I think they made a decision as a band to put out an experimental record to intentionally shed some fans. Hmm. They didn't want the fans that were there that thought Eddie was cute. You know, that's not what they were about. They they wanted to make music for a living, right? And if you're only recognized for how attractive you are, mm-hmm. that's got a time frame on it. That's going to go away. Everybody right. gets older. He's Every- still doing pretty good though. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> pretty lucky guy. Yeah. 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 And he'd probably say the same thing. Right. Um, so, so no code is really the record where they did some really strange stuff. And I, I love it so much. Yeah. The single from that is called who you are. And it's, uh, it's inspired by like, uh, you know, Eastern stuff. It, it, it's very much like when the Beatles went to the Maharash Mush. Maharashi. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Um, it's, it's got that vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Sitar on it and stuff. And I, out. It's, it's just so cool. Yeah. And everyone else hated it. So, of course, I loved it. Okay, cool. And then Radio had the Benz. Oh, yeah. Do you yeah. know that record? Oh, of course, yeah. That's a great record. I love OK Computer. That's, that's their big, big, big record. Yeah. Um, my wife and I... We're dating when that came out, and uh, we we totally bonded over OK Computer. There, there's something about that album that is sort of defining to our relationship, right? right. Um, but I have a very close friend. Uh, I'll give him a shout out, Mike Jaffe, who's kind of a musical guru to me. He was in a band called Fuzz the World, which very few people know. They were a local New Jersey band mm-hmm. that were so great. Yeah. Uh, you know, with the right management at the right place in the right time, they could have easily been part of the 90s grunge era. They were phenomenal. And I would go see them pretty much every weekend in like 96, 97. 
Yeah. And Mike introduced my wife and I. His his girlfriend at the time, now wife, and my wife were best friends through high school. And so anyway, that's our connection. So anyway, um, Mike said to me, you, Fred, would like Radiohead. And I was like, come on, the band that sings that song Creep? Like that really odd looking guy on MTV with the blonde hair and the weird eye? Yeah. I don't care about that band. There's some Brit pop thing. Uh-huh. I just don't care. He's like, you're wrong. You should listen to their second album called The Benz and then and tell me what you think. So I listened to it and I was like, yeah, I kind of like this. And at the time, you know, no one knew this, but they were recording OK Computer and they were asked to go out on tour with Alanis Morissette. So it's 96. Hmm. Remember Alanis Morissette's first record, Jagged Little Bill? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, you ought to know. Right. What a and so she, she immediately was touring arenas. Right. So uh, my brother and his friends had tickets and they said, oh, do you want to go see Alanis Morissette? I was like, fuck no. Well, wait, who's opening? And they said, oh, there's some band named Radiohead. I think they're British. And I went, oh, Mike Jaffe, my musical guru, said I should <laughs> like them. And I kind of like that one record. Okay, I'll go. Huh. Little do I know, it's Floor Seats, 10th Row. So I insist that we get there early to see the opening band because that's the only reason I went. I didn't care about Alanis Morissette. Right. And, and so we, we get into the arena early while everyone else is outside tailgating mm-hmm. and we're 10th row and, uh, and no one's there. There's like maybe 20 other people on the floor. You know, no one up in the stands. No one cares about Radiohead. They only had one hit song and it wasn't even that big. Creep. Yeah. Um, and they start playing, and and they they're playing songs from OK Computer, also the Benz, and also from their first record, and and, I, and I'm just like, oh my god, this is so good, and they start to play Paranoid Android from OK Computer, and my I'm just like, holy shit, this is amazing, and I walk up, we're only in tenth row, and there's no one there, and the security guy's like, I don't care, you can stand in the front row, and I'm like screaming out B sides at this point to Tom York, and he's laughing, and he's like. We got to play what we got to play. They don't even know us. We can't play B-sides. And, uh, and you know, I'm not, I'm not like friends with them or anything, but I feel like I'm having this connecting experience. Right. Like I'm yelling stuff out and he's laughing. Uh, so they play their set. It's probably 40 minutes and it's great. And now by the end of the set, I'm like, okay, this is the band. Fuck you too. Forget Pearl Jam. Radiohead's my new band, new love affair. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the set, Tom hands me the set list. And I still have it. I framed it. I have the, the set list and the ticket stub. Wow. And so that, you know, that was the start of my love for Radiohead. And then OK Computer came out, whatever, 97. Um, I remember uh, there was a record store in Montclair, New Jersey. And they would always release, they would put stuff out like a few days ahead. So records always came out on Tuesdays. Right. I'm sure you remember. Uh-huh. Um, but the Friday before the shipments would start showing up in record stores. So the small mom and pop shops that knew nobody was going to care would put stuff out early. So my wife and I, she may not know this, but we I made sure we specifically had dinner that Friday night in Montclair. I think we went to a movie too, so that we could go to the record store after and I could maybe get the new Radiohead. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, I got it. We got a CD of OK Computer. And we both, she, I know she remembers this because we talk about it, we remember driving home, it started torrential downpour for our first listen of OK Computer. And uh, and even though it's a weird song to bond over, that song Let Down, mm-hmm. um, we both had some family issues at the time. And so this torrential downpour, us being in love, and this song Let Down coming on, and us holding hands, 
and listening to it. It's just one of those memories that is just burned into my right. brain. Yeah. Wow. Powerful. Yeah. For sure. Okay. So I, I, I was getting into that because I wanted to mention that your band, uh, listening to your new, new record, which is out now, go get it. Yes, please. <clears throat> it's only five bucks. It's uh, very, very cheap for the food. Or free on Spotify or Apple Music or any yeah, other. Yeah, just want to listen to it. Yeah. Just fucking just stream it. That's fine. Yeah. Please share it if you listen to it. Right. Um, I think the the biggest thing that struck me to uh, about it was it kind of reminded me of Dinosaur Jr. Oh man, thank you. Is that okay? <laughs> totally. So <laughs> there there are certain influences that I mentioned that I don't for a minute think we live up to, but it's what I'd like to live up to. And so Dinosaur Jr., Matthew Sweet, and the Lemonheads okay are an essential part of like what I'd like to do. Yeah. Well, I think that that's in there. Oh, cool. I mean. From from my my listening of it, I'm like, I, I don't hear you two, I don't hear Radiohead necessarily, but I was like, but I, I'm hearing a lot of like Dinosaur Junior in this and like wow. Guided by Voices. Oh man, I mean like not not carbon copies, but I'm just no, saying no, like I... obviously that that I think that's where the influence is coming in from more than than you two. Like obviously you're a huge U2 fan, oh, obviously yeah. you're a huge Pearl Jam fan, but. You know, as far as like what I, me knowing that about you and then listening to the songs is like, yeah, I'm hearing more of this. Sure. So. Yeah. One of the things, so I went to art school. I went to the University of the Arts in Philadelphia. Uh And one of the things I learned in school that at the time was new to me was this idea of influences and how artists use influences. And there's endless ways that it happens. The thing that was most interesting to me was this idea of like digesting an influence so there's something you love, like U2 for me. I love U2 and I love Pearl Jam. Those are probably my top twos. Mm-hmm. Not probably, definitely my top two. I've listened to that music so much that when I sit down to play guitar or write or whatever, I always hear that. Give me two notes and I'll tell you what song of either one of those bands that those two notes come from. Uh-huh. And of course that's bullshit. They're just two musical notes. Yeah. Every band has used those two notes in sequence before um but there are certain songs when i'm writing that i hear a specific song from another band so like uh there's my song sad i don't know if you know that off the record i've listened to it um when i wrote sad i was actually trying to learn a nirvana song i was trying to learn all apologies you know and at the time there's there's no internet in 1993 Mm -hmm. it didn't it wasn't a thing. Right. <laughs> so I'm I'm just there with my guitar trying to like, what is he playing? What is that? And as I'm doing that and I can't figure it out, I'm not getting it right, but I am playing something cool. And and so that, to me, that's just an example of like, I've digested this influence. I tried to emulate it and I threw away that effort, but I accepted what I wound up with, which was this riff mm-hmm. that became the song Sad that I really liked. And then that that became... It was actually a Pixies thing in that song. So it's a quiet riff right. and then a loud, a loud banging riff, which is a very, you know, right. Pixies kind of thing to do. And also Dinosaur Jr. was what I was thinking. Right, right. Because he did that a lot as well. And so that uh, Where You Been, I think, is the Dinosaur Jr. record that I, was, that I yeah. really like. Yeah. Um, and I can't play guitar like Jay Maskus, but I try, you know, and so like the, maybe the tone of my guitar is going for what he's going for. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just... You know, this whole idea of of uh, being a fan and not being afraid to wear that on my sleeve and, and 
when people mention stuff like that, I just get excited. Um, I, I mentioned my friend Guy Benoit before, and he he called out the same thing. Oh, yeah? This has a Dinosaur Jr. vibe to it. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, my God, thank you. <laughs> Coming from Guy, too. Yeah, that's great. Do you know Guy? Uh, not personally. Like, I, we've crossed paths a lot, but I, I know his music, and I know, like, the bands he's been in, and I know guys that he's been worked with. So, yeah. He, he is, uh, he's a good friend. Uh, I absolutely adore him in every way. He is one of the smartest, most interesting guys I know. Yeah. Uh, he would probably hate this, but if you can get him to be on your show, it would be an awesome, awesome podcast. If he's going to hate it. <laughs> well, because I, I, I think he doesn't, he's not, a, he's not super interested in um, public speaking. Yeah. No. He, he is and he isn't. Um, but anyway, maybe I'll make an introduction and you guys can figure it out. Uh, but Guy knows, Guy is like a walking encyclopedia of, of music, not just, you know, he knows he knows all about the stuff we've talked about tonight yeah. and then some, but he also knows a lot more older stuff and other genres. And, oh, yeah. Oh, he, he, is, he would he blow is, me out of the water, I'm oh, sure. he has such good taste, too. Right. Yeah. Right. And again, he can he can match up the taste to the person, like be like, okay, well, you, you like this, so then I can push this on you. Absolutely. But he doesn't like that, so I'm going to push this on him. Like, yeah. And no matter what he pushes, he'll always push <clears throat> the stooges. Oh, well, you can't go wrong, really. <laughs> no, you can't. Yeah. He's right to do that. All right. Well, I got a, I got a stooges record for him if he wants it, so. Well, there you go. I'll, I'll definitely make an introduction. All right. I was going to uh, say Guy Benite or... Uh, Maybe uh, one of the guys from uh, Oceans of the Moon because they're they're doing pretty well right now. Are they? They're, yeah, they're... I don't know those guys. Are they Providence guys? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll um, look them up. Old school Providence guys, like noise rock band. Yep. I mean, noise rock is the label, right? You know, but it's just uh, kind of like weird psychedelic garage rockish stuff. Sure. Um, I think I think Oceans of the Moon is more ambient. Because okay. uh, it's Rick Peltier from uh, Six Finger Satellite. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he used to be in Chinese Stars. Yep. Uh, he was in La Machine. Okay. And so it's kind of like, uh, I guess it's from what I've read, it's an extension of La Machine. Oh, cool. Uh, and it's Dare Matthewson who was oh, I know in... Dare really well. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Dare so Matthewson Dare... is uh, from Maine, New Mexico. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Dare, um, I mentioned earlier my friend Ryan Lesser. Yep. So Ryan and I grew up together in New Jersey. Ryan's my connection to Providence. Yeah. I moved to Providence to live near Ryan. Oh. Our families are very close. Yeah. Um, our wives are good friends. Our kids are like best friends. Um, and Ryan is probably my best friend. Yeah. Um, and so Ryan and Dare worked together. They went to RISD together, but they also worked together in harmonics. Oh, okay. On Guitar Hero and Rock Band. And all yep. that stuff. So yeah, I know Dare really well. Oh, I live okay. like a block away from Dare. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, it's Dare and then John Loper. Okay, yeah, I know that name. Yeah, so, I mean... Yeah, I'm surprised I don't know the band. Are yeah? They, have they not played a lot of They don't play a lot of shows, okay. but they just... I don't know if it's out yet. New record is... I think it just came out. Oh, yeah, I definitely want to hear that. Yeah, so... Uh, and it's on Castle Face Records, so it's the same label that... Um, what's his name? Jim... Think of his last name right now, but from uh, the OCs, it's his label out oh, in California. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the OCs, man, they're great. Yeah, yeah. So I think actually the last, I think the last show they played was actually opening for them in New York. Oh wow. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, so they're doing pretty well, I guess. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, so they have a new U- new video on YouTube right now. Oh yeah, I'm gonna watch it tonight. Yeah, then, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, look it up. It's uh, they're on Facebook. I follow them on Facebook. So very cool. Yeah, so they're pretty good. So, so I was thinking about oh. like Rick, maybe if I can if I can get Rick in here, that would be yeah, cool. Yeah, he'd be great. Yeah. So we'll um, you mentioned noise rock. Do you remember a band from a few years ago called Ming Toro? Speak closer to the mic. I can't hear uh, you. Ming Toro. Mini Toro. Ming Toro, like Ming the Merciless from Flash Gordon. That, that's right. It was a, no. a band that was had been around for a little bit, and then for the last year, I played guitar with them. Oh, so, okay. Just no, another noise rock band. It was really fun. Yeah, and you were playing with them. Yeah, yeah. I played lead cool. guitar with them for a while. Yeah, I'm kind of into the noise rock thing. I yeah, really it's like fun it. stuff. It's not my like. It's not my go-to. It's not my main thing. I like more melody and more pop stuff. But this band, um, it, it, it did a good balance with that stuff. The singer, Kevin Zonfrillo, uh, was really great. He had great melodies, was a great singer, and he also used a theremin on stage, which is always fun to watch. You can't go wrong with a theremin in a noise rock band. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's one of those things just like, it just adds to the show, totally. if nothing else. Totally. I mean, he, he really made a performance out of it. Yeah. I remember uh, Angelo uh, from Fishbone was using a theremin for a while, or at least he has been since like the middle of their career, I guess, or whatever. And that guy doesn't need anything else on stage. No, it could just but, be him freaking out. Yeah, but uh, but he fucking played the shit out of that thing. I bet for for a theremin. I mean, he's he's a wild man. Yeah, I mean, he's he played saxophone. That was his thing, other yeah. than singing and going crazy. Right. Yeah. I saw them. Um, I went to school at University of the Arts in Philadelphia. Yeah. My freshman year, uh, probably, it was still September, so just a few weeks into the first semester of school, a bunch of kids were like, oh yeah, we're going over to University of Pennsylvania, and we're going to see this band Fishbone, who I'd never heard of. Hmm. I'm like, whatever, you know, is there going to be beers? Is there going to be other stuff? Go, you know, I want to have fun. <laughs> and uh, they're like, yeah, come on, it'll be a party, we'll go. It's an outdoor concert. So we go, and uh, and sure enough, there's beers and other stuff, and we're having a good time. And we're like, it wasn't a huge crowd. It was maybe 300 people, but it was outdoors, so there's a lot of space. Yeah. So we worked our way close to the front, but we're like side stage, stage left, which is the right side. Um, and we're like dancing and grooving and having fun. I forget the opening bands. They were local. And uh, and this guy like, comes over, and he's dancing with us. Oh, he's got a bowler hat on. You're making the record skip. Sorry. Oh, sorry. No, it's all right. You gotta. Yeah, it's really. This shed's about to fall apart, and the record doesn't I'm, help. Like I'm getting into the story too much. <laughs> sorry. That's okay. So we're we're dancing and having fun, and then this other guy wearing a bowler hat comes over and he's got his head down and dancing. Finally, he looks up, and he's got this little goatee, and he's an African American guy. It's Angelo, and we knew who he was because yeah. they had a video at that time and everything. And, uh, and we didn't like freak out, but we, he noticed us noticing him. And he's like, he gives us like a wink and he's like, keep it cool. And then he just like partied with us through the yeah. opening band and that, and then went on stage. Yeah. And was amazing. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I had a similar circumstance with him. Oh yeah. Yeah. We went, my brothers and I went to go see him at, uh, the strand in Providence and, uh, and he was like out selling his merch. Oh really? Yeah. He was like. You know, you walk into the lobby and they had the little merch section over at the yeah. side. 
So we go over there, and he's selling his merch. Wow. And we're like, oh, shit. Like, Angela, what's up, man? He's just like, hey, brother, what's going on? And we're like, and we just, like, we're being fools. So we're like, because we were pretty young. We were, like, teenagers or whatever. Yeah. And we're like, hey, man, like, uh, so what are, you, what are you guys up to? He's just like, oh, you know, nothing. We're hanging out in the back, you know. It's just like, I just like, like, can we go back? Like, can we go hang out? And he's just like, oh, you don't want to go back there. It's just a bunch of good, good old guys smoking pot. No, not a big <laughs> deal, man. Yeah, so you don't want to do that. And you're like, yes, we do. He's like, yeah. He's just like, ah, it's cool, brother. He's like, yeah, we'll see. You know, we'll be out playing in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Like, all right. But uh, we got to like, uh, like we all jumped on him. Like we all hugged him. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and. Uh, we, we, we had a few similar things like that like when we were teenagers. Like uh, We ran into Chad Smith. Uh, the X Games premiered in Providence back in, like I don't know, was it like late 90s or something? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah the very first X Games. Like, uh, yep. College Hill, and they were doing yep. that like, slalom thing, whatever that's called. Right, and like by the train station, they had yeah. like the big, big ramps, the vertical ramps for like, sure. skateboarding or whatever. But they hired Foo Fighters to play a private show at Lupo's, the old Lupo's on Westminster Street. I had no idea. Yeah. And, like, some people were going through that crowd out that day near the vertical ramps, like, near the, uh, on that big open field in front of, like, where the mall is. And they were handing out tickets. They were like, hey, free show going on, free show. We're like, okay, we'll, we'll take them. So we're you like, were, like, 15 or whatever? Uh, yeah, I was, like, late teens. Oh, that's maybe, awesome. I was, like, maybe 18 or something. Oh, still, that's great. And, uh... They're like handing out these tickets, and we're like, I don't even, I don't even know if they told us who was playing. Yeah, but but like, they were like, whatever. Lupos, Lupos downtown, where they're playing Lupos. Here's a free show going on tonight, and we show up, and we're like, holy shit, it's fucking Foo Fighters. <laughs> like, and this is probably the color and shape probably just came out. So second record. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh. so they're still pretty, pretty new. Right. But, like, obviously huge, like, and yeah. it's Dave Grohl, and we're, right. like, fucking Everybody crazy. Everybody knows who it is. And so we're at Lupo's, and it's not too crowded, because I don't know who, how many people showed up. They were just handing out these tickets, you know? So, but we're, like, hanging out near the stage, and we see Chad Smith walk through the fucking front doors. And we're like, dude, Chad Smith just fucking walked in. And so we all, like, fucking bum-rush him. Me and my and brothers. Like no one and else like, knows who yeah, he is. Yeah, because right? we were in a band at the time together, and like they, Jilly Peppers were our influence. Awesome. So we were like, holy shit. So we go jump on him, literally. Like we're attacking <laughs> him, and we're like, oh my God, Chad Smith. Like we're just like talking to him. We're just like, where's John? Where's, how's John Fishante doing? Because he was gone at that at this yeah, point. Yeah. And uh, he's like, he's cool, man. He's doing all right. You know, we talk every now and then. And like, and, and like someone fucking took a picture of us, and we don't know who that person was. Like this was before cell phones, so, so like someone had like a photo. Picture. Yeah, they were like someone was just like, "Hey, take a picture of us," and like, yeah, someone's got that picture somewhere. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, and I've never seen it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that was uh, that was our our fanboy moment. That is cool. Yeah. Do you know? Um, do you know about the Foo Fighters' first tour? The first tour with Mike Watt? Yeah. So oh yeah, know. and uh, what event? Hovercraft. Yeah. With the but but Mike Watts' band was Dave Grohl on drums, Eddie Vedder on guitar, right. Pat Smear on second guitar. Well, it was a whole bunch of like it's a mishmash of like players. I mean, it was right. like a fucking the recording session alone was like yeah. forty players or yeah. some shit. But the, but there's a a chunk of that tour that was just those guys, right? And the deal was Hovercraft opened, 
uh, uh, Foo Fighters played second, and then Mike Watt played, and Dave Grohl played drums for Mike. Eddie played rhythm guitar, and Pat Smear played like lead slash rhythm guitar. Right. There's a whole video, like a 45 minute show video on YouTube of that group. It's so yeah. cool. Oh, they came through Rhode Island, and I didn't go. Yeah, I didn't go either when I was in uh, Philly. They played Philly too, and I didn't know. Like I knew who Mike Watt was, but I didn't care. Right. But I didn't know that those other guys were with him because they weren't publicizing him. Right. It was it was all part of that like, you know, Dave was getting over Kurt's death and uh, Eddie didn't want to be famous, but he still wanted to play music. So it was their way of like doing stuff without the crazy notoriety. Right. Like they wanted to be able to like kind of like walk into a club and just play the club. Right. And not worry about it just being kind of like overrode with like fucking crazy right. rapid fans. They didn't want the celebrity machine thing. Yeah. It was all about Watt. And so everyone who showed up to see Mike Watt, if they happened to know who these other guys were, great. They had a wonderful experience. But nobody was there to see them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, actually happened to listen to a, uh, an interview with Mike Watt about that because they just released a live recording of that. Oh, yeah. Of like one of those shows. Yeah. I think I bought the record of that. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, cool. Fine. I'd be interested in, in, in hearing it, but uh, I was interested in seeing that. I mean, like, thinking about it now, I'm like, damn, that would have been such an amazing show. Go on YouTube. It's a it's a pro shot video. Yeah. It's like yeah. 48 minutes or whatever. Right. Well, my friend was there. A friend of mine, my friend Jay, uh, my friend Jay Mayo, has always been, like, a big music fan. And, like, for some odd reason, he was always the guy that got, like, all these really weird, rare singles. So, like, he had all the singles of Nirvana when they came out, and then Kurt Cobain died. Yeah. And then Foo Fighters started up, and all of a sudden he was just like, dude, did you hear this band, Foo Fighters? He's like, Who, who's that? He's just like, oh, it's Dave Grohl's new band. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. This is, what, 94? I'm like, right. or 90, no, this is like 96. So I'm 16 years old, you know, yeah. high school. Perfect. And he's just like, dude, I'll, I'll make you a tape. He makes me a tape. It's the first, it's the whole first record and on the second side it's all these fucking b-sides oh yeah i was just like what the fuck is like yeah where did you get this and he's it's so good right he's just like oh I, I got i got the you know the single for this one and this one and this one and it's got this track and this track and it's just like it's got all these tracks on it and yep. it's it was so weird like, i missed that era oh, actually no wait this was this was 95 because i remember he gave me that tape and i remember taking that tape to bolivia <laughs> I just, I just randomly went to Bolivia. No, I, that's where I'm from. Okay. And my parents sent my brothers to Bolivia to go to school. And uh, I was left alone at home, being the youngest of four. So eventually they were like, you know what? You should go to because you're fucked up. You're going crazy. So they sent me to finally for the last four months as of uh, February 95 until the end of that school year. So just a few months and uh, I remember I brought that tape with me. Nice. And um, oh, I brought a Nirvana tape too because he had all these B-sides of Nirvana songs. So it had like Beans on it. You ever heard that? Oh yeah. Of course. Yeah. So, yeah, like, yeah. All these really weird, um, rare. Marigold, uh, Moist Vagina. Yeah, right? yeah. All those. Yeah. Yep. I had a tape of all these things from Nirvana. And I went to Bolivia and I gave it to my brothers. I was like, dude, Jay gave me this tape full of all his Nirvana songs, listen to this. And they're like, oh, awesome, cool. And it was such a weird, small, like, um, international school that we went to. So there's all these fucking guys from like, all over the world, 
all these kids, all these cool-ass kids that smoke pot and were from Germany and Switzerland and wherever, everywhere fucking in the world. Uh, but there were some local kids, too, from Bolivia. And uh, I remember, like, playing the tape for, you know, just a bunch of people, like, you know, out in the kiosk or something somewhere. And this one kid asked me, He's like, oh man, what is, is that Nirvana music? I was just like, yeah, it's all these like rare B-sides. He's just like, dude, can I, can I get a copy of that? And for some reason being in my teens and like being like, uh, you know, like you had that, that, that complex that like, you know, you're too cool for everyone else right. thing. I was just like, no man, no, I can't make you a copy. He's just like, oh, come on. Like, I, I just want to, I just want to be able to hear that. I was just like, no man, it's, it, this, this is my copy. I worked hard for this copy. Yeah, well, yeah, I was just an asshole, whatever. Uh, <laughs> and so sure enough, we go back to class or whatever, I put that fucking tape in my locker. And sure enough, I come out of school, and that fucking tape's gone. Oh. <laughs> he stole it? You don't know. We don't know. Oh, wow. But that was like a fucking, that was like a conflict that was happening. It was just like, dude, some fucking asshole... And it was like, I was like assuming it's that fucking asshole that stole my tape out of my locker. And uh, yeah, this is ended up being a sore spot. But it's like realistically, yeah, I should have been a fucking better person. <laughs> but I was 15. What am well, I supposed to do? You didn't know better. No. But you're, you're, you're totally reminding me of that era. Um, when a new record came out by a big band, there was always a single first that had a B-side. And then usually there were four singles from every album. Most, most of the time it was four and everyone had at least one B-side yeah I really miss that experience not only for the collectability we talked earlier about going to the record store every Tuesday and you know getting one or two things um, but also that hearing a B-side and feeling special because yeah everyone knows who Nirvana is and likes Nirvana but I'm the one that knows this song most people don't know this song you know, and, right? And I miss that experience because now, like my son, he he has. I'm biased. He's my kid. Of course, I love everything he says and does. But he does have good taste in music. He likes all the stuff we're talking about. He loves all the early '90s stuff, mm-hmm. especially Nirvana. He's crazy about Nirvana, but he doesn't have that experience of like these are the albums, and then if you're a real fan, here's all this other stuff that you can get into. Right. To him, it's it's all just Nirvana. Right. And and he likes all of it. So I talked to him about Nirvana, and he really likes Love Buzz and Molly's Lips and, you know, the covers. That, to me, were rare B-sides that you had to really be hardcore to know that even existed. Right. And to him, it's like, that's right up there with Teen Spirit. Like, everyone knows Love Buzz. What do you mean? Right. It's a great Nirvana track. <laughs> right. So I miss that era. That's my point. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear you. I mean, well, with a band like that, I mean... If you were in love with a new band today, it could be possible to do that, I guess. Except, if you're in love with a new band today, and again, I'm not young, I know that I'm not young, I apologize if I'm wrong, my impression is that if you're in love with a new band today, you go on Spotify or Apple Music or YouTube, and everything is there. You don't have to do any work. And so, removing from the equation the effort changes how special it is. Right, right. Well, buying a record in general is changing the experience. You know, like being able to download it or stream it is, has changed the experience. But 
I think there are bands, and I think, especially with the revitalization of vinyl, that's becoming more prevalent in uh, in the market, as far as like collectors are concerned, as far as, right. far as like true fans being pe- like people that are like, I fucking love this band. I want to hear every fucking thing that they do. Right. You know, because they'll be on their website. I don't go to any band's websites. You know, like you go I just to don't. YouTube or Spotify or Apple Music, whatever. I mean, if I want to hear their music, I know where to go find their music. I don't go to their website just right. to like go stalk them. Like, hey, where are they going to be next? Oh, where are they fucking like? You know, right. are they planning on recording a new record? Like, I don't care. Just let me know when it's out. But I think that pe- bands are still doing. They're still releasing limited edition things, especially on vinyl. Because it's just like I feel like we have it's more EP or whatever or like yeah, but I feel like it, the, the limited stuff is more merch. It's not music. Well, I don't know. The, I can't speak to the quality of the music they're putting out, but they're putting out stuff that you know is not going to be on their record, and therefore yeah, I, you can't find it on Spotify. I can't speak. I can't speak with any knowledge about like young bands. Like um, maybe it's not even a young band, but like the 1975 or. Um, any kind of modern band. Whatever. Yeah, like a, yeah. a modern, or, or pop is really big, or a rap. I have no idea what goes in the, on in those worlds. I really am clueless. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as rock bands that are young, I don't I don't see that. I don't see the, like, I'm a real fan, so where's the little bit extra for me as a big fan? Right. Certainly with the big bands, they just don't do it anymore. Pearl Jam, U2, um, Radiohead. They put out their record, and that, that's really it. There aren't B-sides anymore. Well, Pearl Jam's got the 7-inch club. If you're yeah, part of the fan club, the fan, you get the 7 The fan inches. club, though, <laughs> that's a sore spot with us, us <laughs> fan club guys. So I've been in the fan club since 92. The fan club is based on seniority. The longer you've been in the club, the better your uh, concert tickets are generally. Oh. It, it changes. Okay. So I have been front row center more times than I can tell you. It's been wonderful. I don't regret a minute of it. Um, I think what you're talking about is every Christmas, part of the deal is they're supposed to give you a single, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a fan club single. Yeah. And for the first few years, they did that. And then after about the 10th year, they like started running late. And so here we are in 2019, the 2018, the 2017, and the 2016 single still haven't come out. We've gotten something digital, but we haven't gotten anything physical. Ooh. And so, yes, I, I know I'm ranting about no, I mean, yes, that... but but it's you know it's it's disappointing. Yeah, REM used to do that too. When REM was still a functioning band, they had a great fan club. They would give a, a holiday single every year to fan club members. U um, two does something similar. It's not a it's not based around holidays and it's not guaranteed. I think you pay forty bucks a year, and you get pre sale tickets. You don't get. Uh, it's not based on seniority as far as where you sit. You just get access to tickets. You wind up where you wind up. Mm-hmm. But they also then give you a, the ability to buy special releases. So like they just finished up their uh, last year, their tour, the Experience and Innocence tour. Mm-hmm. So they have a live record that's only available to fan club members. Oh. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, That's somewhat similar to what we were talking about. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, but uh, but yeah, just for, for bands to be offering some kind of... Uh, some kind of limited pressing of something or, or, you know, you know, especially like B-sides, you know, rarities, the thing, things that don't, didn't make, make it on the record that are still decent, still worth it, you right. know? So Pearl oh, Jam yeah. did something cool with, uh, not with 10 because they weren't big yet, but with Versus, 
Vitology, No Code, and even Yield, the one after that, where the vinyl came out two weeks before the CD and the cassette. Oh. And and so I, I liked vinyl anyway, but I was a crazy fan and I had to hear the music. So you wanted to get it yeah. first and listen yeah. to it, so now, why not? To be honest, uh, for Verses and Vitology, I have a very close friend I grew up with, uh, Stacy Canner. Hi, Stacy. Um, she worked at Sony Music at the time, which Epic was part of. Yeah. And maybe I should... Nah, it's been a long time. She doesn't care. She would call me. I was still living in Jersey. She'd say, drive into the city today. Come park in front of my building at lunchtime. I'm going to bring you something. And I would. I would always do whatever she told me to do. <laughs> and for Verses and Vitology, she came out with a pre-release cassette. So as a crazy Pearl Jam fan, I got to hear those records like a month before release. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, which back then was a huge deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, anytime you can get something like that, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Like, uh, I used to work in movie theaters. I used to work at the Cable Car Cinema in Providence. Oh, cool. And it's a small theater. It It's an independent theater with one screen. Yeah. That plays, you know, independent movies and right. like third is... run features or something, if that, you know. But for some reason, um, when Star Wars Episode Three was coming out, they sent the owner of that store, my boss, uh, seats like tickets for an, a, an advanced screening. Oh wow! And he asked me if I would go. I was just like, <laughs> "Yes, yes, I will." Yeah, <laughs> it's like go see Episode Three like a month before everyone else is going to go see it. Fuck yeah! Yeah. So <laughs> I I fucking punched in and we were like, okay, let's go take a drive and go <laughs> go see the movie. That's like, awesome. Yeah, we went to like a like a showcase or something. And uh and it fucking started to come on. They put the lights down and all of a sudden everyone's just like, Ooh! everyone's like fucking starting losing their minds like, you know, cuz it's fucking happening. Right. We're like going to watch episode 3 for the first time like a month before it's released. Yeah. It was so exciting. Oh, I bet. Yeah. So it's kind of that that same thing. I mean, it's yeah, like you that's get a, awesome. You get a release of a record that everyone wants a month ahead of time. That's awesome. Yeah, that yeah, it was great. It was so cool, um, you know. And I couldn't share it with anybody. I could tell people that I heard it, really, but I couldn't share it with anybody. She told you like you can't. She, oh yeah, she's like, don't duplicate this. Absolutely. Not. Oh well. Yeah, but even like listening party. No, like- no, I let my brother listen to it. My brother and I would drive around listening to it. Uh, my friend Jason at the time, you know, I mean, and they didn't, they thought it was cool, but they didn't care like I cared. Right. Like, you know, at that time. There'd be certain people that would like slit your throat for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And at that time I was one of those rabid fans. Like this was my lifeblood. Mm. It was the most important thing in the world to me. And I was special because I had this access that no one else had. Right. And you know, it wasn't, it wasn't about me. It was about my friend who knew me well enough to like, do this nice thing for me. It was it was cool. That's awesome. yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. That tape is worth a lot of money right now. Again, see, I have no I'll I don't because much. I'll never sell it. I don't even look I'm at that stuff. You. Yeah. I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know what else I have in the Pearl Jam world and I know this is worth a lot. I've seen it. Um again, I was in Philadelphia in school, University of the Arts. We'd go to UPenn, had this like um it was the college in one of their like it wasn't a dorm, but it was like there was like a place to eat and stuff. I forget what it's called. But anyway, they had like a, a student-run record store. 
Mm-hmm. It was very small, but it was a proper record store. It was all CDs, a few cassettes. And my friend Jeff and I would go there all the time. We'd ride our bikes up there. It was like 30 blocks. And the girl that worked behind the counter, I think she had a crush on Jeff. She got to know us. And she knew I really liked Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and Mother Love Bone. And so we're in there one day and she's like, oh, did you guys hear the guy from Mother Love Bone died? Yeah, we heard. She's like, do you hear those guys have a new band? Um, we got a cassette, like a pre-release cassette with three songs. Do you want it? And I was like, I'll take it. And it was Pearl Jam. And it was a live uh, B-side called Footsteps and a cover of the Beatles, I've Got a Feeling. And she just, she gave it to us because, you know, it was a promo. It was no Whoa. nothing. And, uh, and of course, that was my first exposure to Pearl Jam. I totally loved it. And I still have that tape. And I think it sells for a lot of money now. I bet. Yeah. I bet. It's fairly rare. <laughs> I mean, there's there's hundreds, maybe thousands of them. Yeah. But like me, the people that have them are not selling them. Yeah. Hmm. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Just curious. It's sort of yellowish. You'll yeah. see. It's, it's... Hey, do me a favor. Just take a look at the record. You know, look at it in the light. You know how when you're looking at a record in certain light, you can kind of see different like things that are happening in it, like different sheens, different scratches, yeah, sure. like whatever. Just give me your so overall. So you want to know an assessment of how clean it is? Yeah, because you're a vinyl person, and yeah, so yeah. I trust your opinion. I oh, mean, it's very clean. It's got a couple of surface, like it, it doesn't. There are no scratches. There's nothing that I think would affect the sound. I certainly didn't hear anything when we were listening. No, you know, it's got a couple of those like sort of dust surface things. That's uh, that's side one. Side two. Actually, side two is a lot cleaner. This was obviously a, a side one play only. Yeah. Oh, does it have anything on the lead out track? Sometimes they guys like scroll oh, the stuff run out. In. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The run out track. No, I don't think there's any like messages in there. But yeah, yeah. it looks like just the codes. Yeah, it's really clean. It's a great copy. So, uh, any closing remarks? Anything you'd like to mention? Um, no. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. Yeah, that's about it. Okay. Well, that sounds great, right? All right, great. Just have to invite me. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. Anytime.